This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, top of the morning. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives. Your handbook to humanity. You know, none of us were born with a handbook, so we we just we got to get it as we go. And the goal of this show is to teach you uh, what you need to know to get through your day, but also to live a healthier, happier life. We got a great uh, show for you today. We will be talking about Brexit, they call it. Britain's exit from the EU. Uh, in a few weeks, they will be voting to decide if Great Britain's out of the European Union. <sighs> Should it matter? Does it matter to us here in the United States? Well, apparently, President Obama uh, made a really strong pitch that they need to stay in the EU, and it really upset a lot of Great Britain. And so we'll be talking with an expert about Brexit and what impact it will have on us, along with what impact it would have on our presidential elections. As you know, Donald Trump, is <laughs> he's already been uh, making a lot of people mad over in Great Britain. So we'll get to that today. Also, we'll be talking uh, in hour number two about how to parent your kids. Um, how do we call it? With a, with a little bit of games theory. Games theory has become a really interesting uh, form of psychology and motivational science for how we move somebody kind of in the theory of gamesmanship, how to work your kids by not even letting them know that you're working them. I gave you two articles, Uh one of them entitled like the mathematical approach to parenting or Uh something like that. The other one was... How to never lose to your kids ever again. It's like two different approaches <laughs> yeah. to this. So. And it seems highly manipulative, but the reality is you're being manipulated anyway. It's called parenting. So go with the flow. So it's just – it's gamesmanship. It's how to see it like you would a chess game. Hmm. Maybe two or three or four you know, moves ahead. Pretty interesting uh, little topic we will be getting into uh, that. And, of course, a bunch of just other information. Some of it's even important. And some just headlines, news, things you need to know, things you don't need to know, but uh, things that we're going to tell you anyway. We'll also be visiting with a Mormon rapper. This is the craziest story. Mormon rapper? They don't seem to go, you know, they're not. I rap sometimes. My point exactly. That is exactly the point I'm trying to make. It just sometimes doesn't seem to fit. You're, You're talking about presence. Yeah, this is different. This is different. So how do you how do you rap and not you know get into sex and drugs and talking about a bunch of stuff that you don't need to talk about? We'll find out. We'll find out for the Mormon rapper. But first, let's get to the headlines with our own Mormon rapper, Terry South. Terry, thanks, Matt. If you remember, Donald Trump says he gave millions of dollars to veterans, the veteran organizations, um, back in uh, what was it, January twenty fourth of this year. He held the, uh, it was a response sort of counter-programming debate when he decided to skip a Fox News debate because the debate before was where they called him out on his treatment of women. So the next debate he skipped, he held a competitive event at the same time, 
and said that he raised $6 million at this event. Right. So, so where re- is it? Reporters started asking him, where's the money? And they said, we're working on it. And, it. and it's been, you know, five months. So they're like, where's the money? And so the Washington Post does some uh, some investigating to find out where's this money? Have, have any veterans groups received any money from him? It says here, Donald Trump gave millions of dollars to veterans organizations only after the Washington Post published an expose of his questionable claims on the matter. According to an Associated Press investigation, Trump sent checks to many of the groups on May 24th, the same day as the Washington Post story ran in their, in their yeah. paper. Yeah. One of the more prominent groups, the Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation, confirmed to the AP that it received its check on May 24th, despite the campaign previously telling the Post that the scholarship funds donations had already been distributed. This all stems back to January and the boycott and all this stuff. Right. So yesterday there was this press conference, got kind of testy. He uh, he challenged a couple of reporters and went after him. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. He, he, I think he can't believe they can't believe they're questioning him. Uh, Trump went through all forty-one charities. He read their name and how much money they got, and in the end, it totaled five point six million. Wow! So it's not even the it's not even the, the six, full that, he said six it was. that he said. He says they'll get there. Yeah, but it's still, and he's he's concerned because people are trying to vet him and this you know back off people don't sure. don't challenge me on my charitable donations right all that so whatever we'll get on. Uh, local police clarified on Tuesday that they are currently investigating the parents of the three year old boy who fell into the gorilla enclosure at the Cincinnati Zoo over the weekend, leading to handlers having to shoot and kill a four hundred pound animal who came in contact with the child. Hamilton County Prosecutor Joe Dieters initially told the press that the police and his department would not investigate any possible liability for the gorilla's death, but later said that the investigation would look specifically at the parents of the child and not at the zoo itself, which is uh, overseen by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The woman who gave birth, a woman gave birth in New Jersey reportedly contracted Zika in Honduras and her baby appears to be affected by the mosquito-borne virus. Doctors at Hackensack University Medical Center said say an ultrasound on the 31-year-old mother showed evidence of the birth defect microcephaly. After the birth, after the birth, officials say the baby does appear to have developed the defect, which occurred occurs in the fetus brain, does not when it doesn't grow properly, though the baby looks completely Zika affected. Final tests are still being performed to confirm the hmm. results. So that's not. Contracted here, but somewhere else came here and had a, had a oh, child. And th- this was interesting. Joe Strotman, 23, faced judgment at Cincinnati's Hamilton County Courthouse last week over a January brawl outside of a Cincinnati Cyclones game. That's a minor league hockey team. And Judge William Mallory handed down an unusual sentence 12 consecutive Sundays attending the Morning Star Baptist Church. All 90 minutes of the service with the program signed by the minister, Joshua Johnson. Stratum, the defendant who was Catholic, also paid $480 in court fines and $2,800 to his lawyer. Now, before you go on, you know, so, guys, Catholic, the judge sentenced him to 12 Sundays at a Baptist church. Wow. Turns out it was the defendant's idea. He walked out of the He's hockey. He's going to convert him. Walked out of the hockey game. There were some people out on the street, kind of doing some street preaching. He was drunk, got in one of their faces, and kind of had an altercation with that priest at the Baptist church, with that preacher. So now the, he's going to have to spend more time with the preacher. So the defendant's like, let me go and listen to what this guy has to say and ah. know, kind of go through there. So the judge was like, either that or he goes sits in jail. So yeah, go to yeah, church. Yeah, no, that's good. Sure. He's going to find. Truth. Light. I found that to be... No more fight. 
That's the, that's the motto. He says the alternative goes, Your Honor, if I may, I would be more happy to serve at a church of your choosing than sitting in jail. That's, you know what? That might not be a bad model. Maybe we ought to do that everywhere. Ohio, I mean, on certain crimes. Ohio judges have had some interesting sentences. There's people that have, uh, you know, not paid their taxi fare. And so they had them walk the distance of however long the taxi ride was holding yeah. a sign saying that I didn't pay. You know, that kind of stuff. That's crazy. So some shaming. This this will actually probably be more beneficial. Well, that's that's good news. And well done, Terry, on the news. I just want to think and tell you how great you are. You, you nailed it. What are you going to do? Happy Say Something Nice Day. Is that what that was? Yep. You're you, just kind of following through with – You too, Ben. You're fantastic. Okay, I'm I'm going to be expecting more of that throughout the show. Just kinda, today, today's your doesn't, day. Doesn't feel real. Something feels weird. <laughs> feels kind of fake. Something <laughs> feels weird. Hey, it's also uh, running day and go barefoot day. Do they go together? Mm-hmm. Some people do that. Some are run barefoot runners. Not not a big fan. Not me. Not good for plantar. No fasciitis. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Or just you know rocks. <laughs> You're running. They kind of hurt too. Yeah. It's not a good day. My mom used to do that. She grew up just no Your shoes. Your mom a barefoot runner? Well, no. She just grew up with no shoes running around. You know, just she, says she never learned, wore shoes. Yeah. So her feet were just like leather. Leather is gross. <laughs> Hi, mom. Sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> I th- I'm sure your feet are wonderful. She would just, as an, as an adult, she'd just tear off into the street chasing one of us kids down. And I'd look at her like, ow, what are you doing? There's oh, rocks in the road. Deal? Hey, did you see? So Donald's mad. He's angry because he he thinks that people should. He, he's raised money for charity. The problem was that nobody knew where it, where the money was, including and, people on his own staff. Yeah, and it just so happens that he had. They were just waiting to vet. That's the big word they've been using. Vet money for the vets. And there's a process, and you, and it's true when you have a lot of money and you're trying to hand it out to multiple organizations you, right. you have to there's there's laws yeah. there's things you have to follow process procedure and that's what they were doing and it just so happens that he wrote the checks for the vets the, within the week right like within the last few days before this the, well the day the story came out in the Washington Post yeah. saying they hadn't paid any of the uh the charitable yeah. organizations. Which, but it takes time. Don't we? We shouldn't doubt him. I mean, he did raise five point six million. He did say he raised six, but I mean, you'd think he'd just throw down an extra four hundred. Well, he always rounds up. Yeah, well, who doesn't? Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> who doesn't round up? He says they'll, they'll get there. They they have more donations coming in. Did um, did you hear this crazy story uh, that is out of India? Fantastic. Hundreds of cows and bulls walked the ramp in a North Indian town Saturday in what they're calling a bovine beauty pageant. Aimed at promoting domestic cattle breeds and raising awareness about animal health. As the farmers led their animals, the panels of experts judged the beasts for their size and overall looks the length of their horns, and for their cows' milk-yielding capacities. The judges selected 18 winners in various categories, choosing the healthiest and the best-looking cows and bulls from more than 630 animals in the contest. Those were hard odds. On the ramp, the bovines displayed their individuality. Some, in fact, sashayed Hmm. with casual grace, while others dug their heels with their hoofs. You know, 
trying not to be pulled or prodded by their owners. They sashayed, huh? Yeah, some don't want to walk for the judges. The winners, mm. representing three different breeds, carried home prizes and a winner's sash. Cows. Beautiful. That's what they do in India. Hmm. You know what we do here? I know they're revered. We eat them. Uh, we have an equivalent here. It's called the Bachelorette. Yeah. <laughs> and they are... There was a fight, apparently, on the Bachelorette last night. Did you watch? Mm-mm. But my kid oh. came in running and said, there's a fight on the Bachelorette. And you're like, okay. okay call me when it's over. Yeah. It's TV. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch. Ben, I know you can't get enough of the Bachelorette. Every, every episode. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. What, what happened with the fight? There were punches thrown. You don't know, do you? I just wanted to fit in. He has no idea. He doesn't even have a TV. No. I mean, who are we kidding? <laughs> that would have been funny, but he doesn't even have a TV. He doesn't have a computer, unless he's here at work. Just ice cream. That's all Ben's got. Uh, the cow thing sounds fun, though. A bovine beauty pageant. How do you teach a cow to sachet? Or does it just happen naturally? Well, a lot of cows are just born sacheting. Okay. They just naturally know how to sachet. Mm-hmm. But then there's the few that are like a little bullheaded. You gotta, so to speak. Yeah. Wasn't there a story that we did where there was a an American cow beauty contest, but the winner was named Lady Gaga? I don't remember that. Really? Mm. Uh-uh. There, there, there is something that sounds familiar about that. That sounds like that would be offensive to Lady Gaga. Well, I, I'm just saying what I heard. Or cows, since Gaga wears you know meat suits. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure. That is so sad. Uh, see, this is why you. You need to travel the world because in India, you see a bovine contest, beauty contest. In the U.S., you see the Bachelorette. Yeah. You know. We had a story. Lady Gaga named Germany's prettiest cow. That's why he remembers it. It's Germany's it was prettiest la- cow. We, we did it like last year. Yeah. Ben, how you, do you say you, – You can say something nice to me. Okay. Now. Ben, that was fantastic. How do you say Germany's prettiest cow in German? Die schönste Kuh Deutschlands. Wrong. Wow. Not You're just making close. things up at that point. Not even close. Yeah, when you type in into Google cow Lady Gaga, you, it brings up that story, <laughs> and it brings up Lady Gaga in a meat suit. So, Is it really? Because yeah. she wore that to yeah. some I awards mean, You wear thing. one meat suit. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're pigeonholed for life. There's like steaks and, I don't know, all kinds of gross stuff. But yeah, so the story, there was a Holstein and they had a beauty show, and Lady Gaga, the cow, won. Of course. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for bringing us back. Thank you. A wow. Revisiting so he, a story. Like, from... I mean, I think that's a really neat point that Ben actually is listening. That's crazy. That is fantastic. That's probably one of the bigger developments we've had on the show. Yeah, no, I, I feel a lot better about that. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break, see if Ben can keep listening for the rest of the hour. We're going to be talking about Brexit. Have you ever heard of that? Great Britain's exit from the European Union. Apparently, there's a big vote in a few weeks here uh, in June, and guess what? It could go either way. We're going to be talking about what happens. What's the big deal? Does it matter to any of us here in the United States? Stick with us. Helping you uh, lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, after several months of debate, Britain will vote on whether they will leave the European Union or not. This national referendum set to take place on June 23rd may have more impact on the U.S. than we realize. With economic growth and the effectiveness of counterterrorism measures at stake, President Obama has urged British voters to remain part of the EU. Joining us today from Colorado State University is Dr. Peter Harris. Dr. Harris is an assistant professor in the political science department and specializes in international relations. He joins us today to tell us more about the importance and the potential uh, consequences of a British exit or Brexit, as they call it. Dr. Peter Harris, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, thank you, Matt. Good morning. How good, are you doing? Good morning. Great. Thank you. And thank you for being with us today. Uh, give us a little background. Um, I, I think most of us here in the United States, we, we know that there's a European Union. We may not fully know why or how it came to be. Will you walk us through a little bit of the background and history of the EU? Sure, no problem. So the European Union really has its origins in the immediate post-World War II world, <clears throat> when um, Europe was really devastated by uh, six years of war and the people of Europe, or at least the leadership of Europe, was very keen to find a way that the continent could avoid another war. And the focus was really on on rebuilding infrastructure and building lasting peace. So the earliest um, kind of ancestor of the European Union was something called the European Coal and Steel Community, which was um, a group of countries, uh, West Germany, France, Italy, uh, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg came together to try and uh, basically unify their coal and steel industries. The idea being that if they depended on one another for coal and steel production, then it would make war between them uh, unlikely. Hmm. Coal and steel are very important um, for war making. So it's a gradual process over the next kind of five, six, seven decades. But this early cooperation in uh, coal and steel um, eventually mushroomed into cooperation in other areas, in nuclear energy, in uh, wider aspects of the economy, um, in diplomacy and politics and cultural exchanges, such that um, by 1992, the European Union had been formed, which um, by that time... um, encompassed more than just the six founding members. It encompassed around 15 or so um, members of of mostly Western Europe. And then in the 2000s, the European Union expanded into the former communist countries in Eastern Europe. So today it comprises uh, 28 member states. But the goal has always been the same, to get the countries of Europe on the same page, to get them economically dependent upon one another, uh, to build peace and to help those countries avoid uh, killing each other, which is something they've been pretty good at doing over the past several centuries. Yeah. So so it, it created stability in Europe. Uh, we don't need to fight anymore. We are a united Europe. And uh, Great Britain has played, I'm, I'm sure, uh, a large role in that just because of their economy, because of their strength militarily. What um, – what – what happens if we if the if Great Britain decides they're done with the EU? What uh, what does that look like? Um, 
Britain has always been an awkward partner in Europe, and people on the continent uh, look at the British as being people who dragged their heels. Uh, so we didn't join initially, uh, and it took us until the 1970s until we joined this project. And ever since we've been in there, um, the British have been uh, pretty enthusiastic proponents of economic liberalization, like free trade, but then pretty staunch opponents of political integration. We don't like the idea of a federal Europe, kind of like the United States of Europe. Yeah. So if, the, if Britain was to leave today, uh, it could go one of two ways. It could um, actually quite please a lot of continental Europeans. They might be quite happy that they got rid of this awkward partner, this heel dragger, this kind of spoiler on the sidelines, and it would allow the rest of Europe to pursue a uh, kind of ever closer union, which countries like Germany and France have tended to be much more enthusiastic about than Britain. So it could, if we leave, it could allow them to to become even more kind of unified and harmonious and, and integrated. Hmm. Does, however... Yeah, what happened? Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, keep going. No, keep going with however. Yeah. However, it could also set off more of a domino effect where other countries in Europe say, well, hold on a minute, why do the British get a vote on this? Why do they get to choose whether they stay in or out? We also want to vote. Hmm. I think there was recent polling that showed a majority in every single European country poll said that they also want a referendum on EU membership. And there's countries um, like Poland, countries like uh, the Czech Republic, um, there's movements in Spain, in France, uh, in Germany itself, who actually, they do want to leave the European Union. So it could set off this kind of chain reaction of um, anti-European movements demanding their own European referendums and it's not completely unrealistic to say you could see a more of an unraveling of the European project. It's um, it seems like a, a difficult thing because of sovereignty, and I mean I know a lot of somewhere I can't remember where I read it, but about fifty percent of the decisions being made about the, about uh, Britain's. You know, financial situation or taxable or taxes or border issues, all of these decisions are being made outside of Great Britain in the EU. That's right. A lot of European laws, excuse me, a lot of British laws, especially referring to the workplace and the economy, stem from the European Union. <clears throat> Now, that, that chased a lot of British people who don't, don't understand why the UK Parliament can't be making those laws. Because there is a logic between having a single market, a single European market for goods and services, and then having a European-level way of making rules. Right. Rather like if in the United States, if countries like, if states like Delaware or Rhode Island were allowed to their own weights and measures or to have their own regulations about what kind of goods could or could not come into their states, then it would kind of, it would undermine the whole point of the, the United States of America. You, you need like a federal government to set basic regulations for all 50 states. That's the same kind of logic that applies in the European Union. But of course, there's no European national identity. People in Britain feel very different from people in Spain or Greece or Slovakia in a way that people in Delaware maybe don't feel that different from right. people in Washington, D.C. or California or the rest of them. 
President uh, Obama also, when I guess when he was over there recently, um, he made a point. He talked about it, and it it upset a lot of people because basically the idea that you all ought to stay in the in the union, even though it it seems like it's something that the United States would never go merge with Canada, Mexico, in a in a union, right? Well, the conservatives in, in Britain made that, that point exactly. And they said the United States is uh, probably the country in the world that is the most jealous of its sovereignty, that refuses to give up any kind of iota of its sovereignty. So it's a bit rich for an American president to advocate the UK staying in the European Union. Now, of course, people on who support the European Union in Britain pointed out that well, if you go back, excuse me, if you go back a few hundred years, and you see these thirteen Atlantic colonies in the United right. States of America, they did join a union. They joined the United States of America, and that union has flourished now to include fifty states to be the most powerful, wealthiest, richest, most attractive country in the whole entire world. So maybe there is some kind of a good, um, a good rationale, a good lesson to learn from American experience of joining these bigger kind of political and economic units rather than staying small and isolated. Yeah, and I mean it paid off, right? It paid yeah, off. Absolutely. But but like like you're saying, I mean there's there's a large distinction between all of the countries, the 23 whatever countries that are in the EU, EU they're 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 very distinct and different um, in so many different ways, and even language in other ways. Um, talk about because the vote in the, in Great Britain isn't it relatively close right now? Isn't it about fifty fifty on this initiative? It's very close. Uh, I think if you would take uh, a poll of the polls, like an average of the polls. You would see the, the the remain the the status quo side narrowly ahead, just narrowly ahead. <clears throat> However, some of the more more recent polls have seen the the Leave campaign, the pro Brexit campaign, still narrowly ahead. But I think the difference is really within the margin of error, and it's it's very 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 close. I think. I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I don't think I would place any money on. On the, on the outcome right now. Yeah, too close to call. Yeah. Let's uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Peter Harris, who is an assistant professor at Colorado State University and uh, specializes in political science department, concentrating on international relations. We'll take a break, come back. I want to find out what is the impact on the United States. So, so what if, uh, you know, one member of the EU breaks away? Does it really matter? And, you know... The United Kingdom's always been our best friend, right? Uh, it's always been the, the – the, well, Great Britain especially has always been our best friend. And so how do we – who do you choose? The EU or your best friend if they break up? It's just like a really bad relationship, you know, divorce. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Be honest and to let 
you know what I think. And speaking honestly, the outcome of that decision is a matter of deep interest to the United States because it affects our prospects as well. The United States wants a strong United Kingdom as a partner. And the United Kingdom is at its best when it's helping to lead a strong Europe. There's President Obama talking about Brexit, Britain's exit, potential exit from the EU, the European Union. There will be a vote on the 23rd of June. Uh, up or down, basically, uh, for the people of Great Britain. Are they going to stay with the European Union or not? And uh, according to President Obama, he'd like them to stay. A unified union is stronger. It's better for Europe. Joining us on the phone is Dr. Peter Harris. He's an assistant professor at Colorado State University in the poli-sci department with a concentration on international relations. Today he's here to teach us about what's the big deal uh, in the breakup and why America... Why Why the president's even commenting on it? Dr. Harris, thank you so much again for being with us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. What is what what happens? What will the United States do if uh, if Great Britain decides to pull out? The problem for the United States um, is that this is Brexit, that this is Britain considering leaving uh, the European Union. The U.K. is always... Uh, kind of styled itself as something of a transatlantic bridge, the one country that can link Europe with America quite seamlessly, not only because of the language and the the history and the cultural ties, but because politically and ideologically, the UK and the US are just much more similar than the US is to the rest of Europe. So it's a problem for for America if Britain leaves the EU. on things like free trade and economic liberalization, Britain pushes for that in in Europe and internationalism and working on all manner of foreign policies. Britain pushes for those things that America uh, would like it to push for, not because it's uh, America's poodle necessarily, but because it simply agrees with America more so than do a lot of the other European states. So if Britain leaves, it kind of undermines some of that transatlantic uh, bridge it's historically existed for the past few decades, and that that would be a problem for for America. America would still work with Britain; it would still work with the European Union, but it would be Britain would be weaker and less relevant, and the European Union would just be less naturally inclined towards aligning itself with the United States. Hmm. Which is uh, the President Obama even inferred or stated that. It would put uh, Great Britain would become would come second to the European Union in line, right? So the moment uh, the EU and the United States have been negotiating a big uh, free trade deal, a transatlantic trade and investment partnership, it's something the Obama administration has been working on for a long time. Uh, it would you know add kind of billions to the economy, both sides of the Atlantic, it's supposed to create a lot of jobs, investment. Uh, you know, be very good for both sides of the Atlantic. If the UK leaves, it gets excluded from that. It loses access to all these free trade deals. It lo- not only does it lose access to the EU market, which is the biggest single market in the whole world, but it would lose access to the free trade deals that Europe has negotiated, including with the United States. And what Obama was saying when he visited London was, you know, I'd love to say, that I could give you the same terms, that I could give you the same deal, that you wouldn't lose out. 
but I can't say that. I mean, if you leave, if you choose to leave, if you choose to isolate yourself, we're going to have to start from, from scratch. And the, the, the word he used is the word that we use in, in the UK. He said, you're going to be at the back of the queue. Hmm. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, Donald Trump, who's running for president, uh, he's he's in a way this seems to play kind of into his hands, doesn't it? Where it sounds more like isolationism, where we're you know we're retreating from global markets or you know regional markets, and we're kind of now protecting our own. Uh, even if the UK was to leave, it it would be kind of more of a introspective isolationist kind of country. It, it could be that. Um, it could retrieve from the world stage. A lot of the people who support Brexit, however, say the opposite. They say that if, if, if the UK leaves Europe, it will actually free itself to become much more internationalist, to work with partners all over the world, not just in Europe. Hmm. In the United Kingdom would actually become a much more valuable ally to the United States because it wouldn't have to tie itself to the Europeans who are so reluctant to get involved in the rest of the world and kind of work alongside America in places like uh, the Middle East. Instead, Britain would free itself up to become, you know, kind of a leading actor in world affairs. And, and the United States has nothing to worry about because if we leave the EU, you know, we'll, we'll be back. We'll be this kind of virile, kind of active Great Britain that people remember from, from decades gone by. Yeah, there might be some romanticism to that, I and mean, there's not not really much to suggest that would actually actually happen. But that's the the argument given by the the, the Brexiteers. Right? Would what would happen with the the war on terror? It seems like there have been breakdowns in the EU, border to border, country to country, and being able to stop uh, terrorism because of communication issues and border issues. W- would this leave uh, Great Britain more vulnerable? Uh, it could. The European Union has a lot of faults and a lot of problems. Any kind of big bureaucracy like that is going to have inefficiencies. But one thing it does do pretty well is, is cooperation over, over policing. So even given the high-profile terror attacks that have occurred over the past few years, I think it's true to say that the European Union is safer because it cooperates over policing and it cooperates over intelligence sharing. If the United Kingdom removed itself from that, you could see some problems. Um, not necessarily, but it would make it much more likely, in my estimation. Now, having said that, leaving the EU doesn't, doesn't mean that you need to stop cooperating on those things. There could be ad hoc, cooperative uh, relationships that are put in place. They just wouldn't be as formalized or routinized as they, as they currently are. And this points to... <clears throat> The bigger problem with excuse me, Matt. You bet. The bigger problem with Brexit, which is a lot of the people who uh, propose leaving the European Union have a lot of difficulty saying what will come in its place. So whether it's on terrorism, foreign policy, um, policing, uh, currency arrangements, all, all trade deals, all kinds of um, issues, it's very difficult for the, for the Brexit. Um, proponents to articulate exactly what will come next. We're really asking the British people to take a leap of faith by leaving the status quo and accept the future where, truthfully, we really don't know what would happen across all of these policy areas. That's hmm. a big ask to ask of people. 
and it's kind of surprising to me that the electorate seems to be kind of moving in that direction, given there's so many unknowns. Is is there a divide in who's uh, on what side of this issue in Great Britain? Are the are the are the more liberal side more on staying in the union, and the more conservative side opting for getting out, or is it not divided that way? It's really fascinating. Um, for a long time, it was the, the European issue was divided that way. Um, right wing kind of business interests were in favour of European Union. So left-wing uh, kind of trade union movement was against it. It's a businessman's club kind of a situation. Today, the divide is, is more, it, it cuts across party lines. <clears throat> it's very interesting. So the Conservative Party is about 50 split. The Labour Party, which is kind of the left-wing party, is mostly in favour, but there's a, there's a lot of people want to leave. I would say the divide is mostly... Uh, along class lines today. So kind of uh, poorer, unskilled, um, working-class voters tend to be against the European Union. They see it as um, an entity that's taken their jobs. It's facilitated mass immigration to the United Kingdom from all over 27 uh, member states, and immigration is very common in the United Kingdom right now. Whereas more affluent, affluent high-skilled, uh, middle-class and upper-class uh, voters tend to be more supportive of the European Union. Wow. The only caveat to that is uh, Scotland uh, tends to be much more pro-European Union uh, across across uh, class lines. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of similar to the, uh, the divide you see right now in the United States with uh, Trump supporters and Bernie Sanders supporters being kind of more skeptical of globalization, skeptical of trade deals, skeptical of, you know, outsourcing jobs to other countries. You see the same kind of pattern in, in, in Great Britain right now, where those same types of voters, they don't like the EU. It's not done anything for them as they see it. They've lost their jobs. Jobs have gone overseas. Uh, new migrants are accused of you know, taking jobs and taking benefits, that kind of uh, political uh, narrative is being spun by the pro-Brexit side. Whereas more affluent voters, they've done pretty well out of the European Union. So they want to they want to stay in the European Union. Right. Is, um, as we just wrap this up, I mean, you don't have a crystal ball, right? So you can't, or do you? I don't know, Dr. Harris. Um, but <laughs> if what do you think? It's, um, right now it could go either way, and, I mean, is there a preference? A president is saying one thing. I know uh, pr- Donald Trump, I'm sure, would be saying a different thing. Um, what do you think? Going forward, are we going to be looking at a, a divided U.K. from the EU? Uh, my, my guess right now would be, if I absolutely had to, uh, I mean, as a political scientist, you should never make predictions like this because you're always wrong. Right, right. Uh, but... What I would say is, I would, uh, narrowly, I think the country will vote to remain inside the European Union. Usually, with these kinds of referenda, there's a status called bias. Right at the end of the campaign, all the undecided voters um, tend to break towards the status quo. They don't want to shake things yeah. up too much. They don't want to rock the boat. I would guess we would stay inside the European Union. 
However, the only thing I would add to that is I don't think the issue is going away. Yeah, that's the point, huh? They stay, but they're not happy. Absolutely. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same thing um, coming up again in the next, I don't know, within the next decade. Mm. Uh, the, The ruling Conservative Party, the governing party, is bitterly, bitterly split on the issue. And if the Prime Minister, who wants to remain, uh, wins the, the, the campaign, he, he, he's governing a, a completely divided party. And I don't see how that can continue without some kind of uh, return to this issue or some kind of concession on this issue. So we're in for some interesting times, and I don't think the European issue is going to go away, uh, whatever the vote. Yeah. Um, on 23rd June. Dr. Peter Harris, thank you so much for your insight into Brexit. Okay, well, thanks for having me and have a great day. You bet. Keep up the great work there at Colorado State University. Again, Dr. Peter Harris, Assistant Professor in the Political Science Department. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, uh, continue the discussion and other new insights and information, things you need to know to help you uh, see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, doing a little coach's corner for you here. Now, the breakup between Great Britain and the EU, it's it's like a it's like a it's a bunch of friends that you lined up years ago, and now they just don't get along. They just don't get along. So what are you supposed to do? And who do you go with, right? Do I go with my best friend, Great Britain? But I, I've really come to love and appreciate the other partners. Mm, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Well, the EU gives you financial benefits. So is your friend more important than financial benefits? No, because I feel like I can use both of them equally. I mean, the, great, the United States is in a good position, right? Because it's it's going to be fine. But the problem is, it might be that if all of a sudden Great Britain can break up, then why wouldn't other countries start breaking out? And it's it gets scary, too, because how many times on the show have we talked about collaboration and the need to work together, the need to... I mean, we live in a global economy, we live in a global marketplace, and now Great Britain's going to kind of go it alone. But they still need markets, right? They still need places to put their their goods. They still need trade. And I guess they're assuming or believing that they'll just be able to pick that up. So it, it may not be an all or nothing kind of mentality. It it's this is a it's an interesting concern about isolationism. In fact, it reminds me of um, this story that I read. Oh. Listen to this poor guy. A Colombian sailor found alive after two months adrift in the Pacific. A sailor has been rescued after spending two harrowing months lost at sea, witnessing the deaths of his three shipmates and forced to eat seagulls for survival. Yee! 
29-year-old Colombian sailor was picked up some 3,500 miles from home, far out in a desolate stretch of the Pacific Ocean. According to the U.S. Coast Guard, he arrived on dry land in Honolulu on Wednesday. Can you imagine finally seeing ground? He landed on, in Honolulu, saying the sailor was in good condition and happy to have survived. The sailor told officials his group of four set off from Columbia more than two months ago. When the engine of their 23-foot skiff failed, they found themselves adrift, and they were forced to eat fish and seagulls to stay alive. He told the Coast Guard the bodies of his compatriots were not on board anymore, the tiny vessel, when it was found, but the sole survivor was able to produce their passports. So they had to be let go, probably. He was also found with a soccer ball, wasn't he? No, that's, that's, that's another show. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. this isn't – this is a different – this is a real-life story. This is not – Isn't that other one a real-life story too? No. Really? No, that's a movie. That's a movie. I thought it was a documentary. No, Castaway? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a movie. It, it, was, it didn't happen. But this yeah. is the music. I appreciate how you played that music behind this, but this, this uh, was a real story of a guy that had to – I mean – I guess eventually these guys died, and then you just throw them into the ocean. That's what you got to do. You can't have them, can't have them just dead there next to you. Can you imagine? Sometimes that's how I feel, alone on an island or just alone in a skiff. With a dead body next to you? With a dead body named Ben sleeping on the board. <sighs> that's what I'm afraid of for the U.K. Be careful. Be careful going off on your own. Sometimes you might just be adrift for two months and have to eat seagulls. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. The guy survived. That's the good. We'll be back giving you more survival stories up next on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Hour number two of the show, giving you the tools, the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives. Today we're going to be talking about Parenting 101. Games theory, have you ever heard of that? That's, uh, well, we'll get into the big discussion on it. Different ways to parent your child. And uh, sometimes you you can find a back door to influence and motivate your children. So a trick. A.K.A. a trick. But it's... It's more or less that you're smarter than your kids, so yeah. use that to your advantage. If, Deception. Uh, not really. Okay. He's... Uh, he's He's making it evil. Yeah. He, it's he also – it's not evil. It's parenting. No, it's parenting. It's different. He, he doesn't have a kid yet. Yeah, he'll figure it out. Yeah. Right. I mean right well, now – I don't know. Legally, I don't know if they want him to reproduce, but we'll figure <laughs> that out later. There's this whole contaminating the gene pool moral question we have to cross first. So. <laughs> Holy cow. HR is going to be called in on that one. I can already tell. <laughs> that went a lot further than any <laughs> – I uh, I went up and talked to HR for both of you both, mm. for all y'all. All y'all? Yeah. And uh, they said they're going to start recording every show. We already do. 
Well, no, HR doesn't. It's on the server. They can just yeah, pull no, it. No, HR. Oh, okay. I'm talking HR in All the right. office. I can give them the timestamps. So. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been writing down the dates and the times? We've got a great show. We'll talk about a uh, game theorist's guide to parenting, mathematically tested measures to make your kids cooperate. Interesting little uh, trick or backdoor. Also, we, um, we've got a lot of headlines, a lot of fun, interesting information that we've got to convey, right? You need to know some things and some things you don't. But first, let's get to Terry South, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Terry, what's up? Thanks, Matt. We're still a uh, several months out from voting for anything, actually. But there's a lot of polling that goes on, and you love these polls. Give me a poll. Hillary Clinton still leads the most general election polls, but Donald Trump has been gaining on her as of late. Her lead over Trump has shrunk to the low single digits. State polls tell a similar story. Clinton and Trump have run neck and neck in two separate polls in each of four key electoral uh, battleground states. Clinton's favorability ratings currently 41% favorable, 55% unfavorable. Voters see her private email use as a problem. Among all voters, 48% view the emails as a major problem, while 24% see it as a minor problem. Hmm. 18% say it wasn't a problem at all. Where are they? Where are they at? Who knows? Trump's numbers among non-whites have actually been relatively decent, despite some of the things he has said. Despite he's offended all of them. Fox News has him winning 7% of African American uh, and 27% of Hispanics, roughly Mitt Romney's numbers in 2012. Wow. Mitt Romney didn't offend as many, apparently. Uh, Americans want the nomination system to change. They have prime. They want. They like primaries instead of caucuses, and they oppose the party insiders known as superdelegates, yes. who have a substantial say in the Democratic race. Just seventeen percent of Republicans and thirty-one percent of Democrats have a great deal of confidence in their own party system. Hmm. Actually, being fair. That's that's that's. I, I agree. Caucuses drive me crazy. That and they want you to sit around all night long and talk to your neighbors. Nobody Plus you got to bring donuts. Just show up, vote, and leave. That's America right <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump had a hand in personally devising the marketing strategy for his controversial Trump University. The Donald, uh, the Donald, as it says, vetted potential ads and was involved in discussions around them and signed off on any time we had a new ad, according to a sworn testimony. In a lawsuit concerning the for-profit real estate school, plaintiffs have said the marketing was misleading. The testimony has been made public as part of an order Friday from U.S. District Court Judge Gonzalo Curell. Uh, this after Trump called him out for being a, a bad guy in a speech yeah. in San Diego. A, but it wasn't because of that. Because no. the Washington Post put in a request for them. Right. They wanted them. And then Donald offended the judge. But it didn't help, yeah. And then the judge just released him. So all this, all this information has been put out there into the public. In the records released Tuesday, employees described Trump University as a scam. Unearthed company manuals, or what they called playbooks, revealed that staff members were told to aggressively steer particularly vulnerable customers towards expensive courses. That'll be playing out in the courts as we go through the election <sighs> process here. The impressive independent candidate the Weekly Standard's Bill Crystal tweeted about over the weekend is a constitutional lawyer named David French, sources tell Bloomberg Politics. The sources, both Republicans, close to Crystal's efforts to find a candidate to challenge Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, confirmed French is open to running for president but hasn't made a final decision. Hmm. French is a National Review staff writer, recipient of the Bronze Star, veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom, and the author of several books. A source says some conservative donors are excited about the possibility of French running. He lives in Tennessee with his wife and three kids. 
Okay. We'll see what happens there. Interesting. On Tuesday, the federal government sued to keep the family of the San Bernardino shooters from receiving $275,000 from life insurance policies that uh, Saeed Farouk took out in 2012 and 2013. Prosecutors say that while employed by the San Bernardino County and planning a terrorist attack, Farouk obtained a $25,000 life insurance policy in 2012 and a $250,000 policy in 2013. So he was planning ahead. Yeah, he was just being proactive. The federal government says that terrorists must not be permitted to provide for their designated beneficiaries through their crimes. So yeah. you get a life insurance, you commit a terrorist attack, you, you get shot, right. and your family gets taken care of. <laughs> Doesn't seem right. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're taking care of that. And uh, finally, the Islamic State on Tuesday urges Muslims to destroy their satellite TV sets to prevent hostile channels from destroying their beliefs and polluting their ethics. <laughs> the ultra-hardline Sunni group issued its call to military pressure as military pressure ensued against with offenses targeting its strongholds in Raqqa, Syria, and in Fallujah, west of Baghdad. Okay. So the cable and satellite companies thought cord cutting was bad before. Now the Islamic State's telling the Muslim world to cut their satellite feed. Man. They're in trouble. ISIS. Yeah. <laughs> They're in trouble. It's not good for them. Fallujah's is it Fallujah? Is that the province? What's the town that they're fighting in right now? There's Raqqa it's in about Syria. To fall. That's it's supposedly fall. the headquarters, and Fallujah is what the Iraqi army is trying to retake. Yes, and so they're surra- go Iraqis. They've kind of surrounded the town. Yeah, and they're you know blowing stuff up. See this? We've put something together to motivate the Iraqis. There because it's a hard it's hard to keep everybody up and motivated and excited. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a fun it's a fun little how do we say it? Everybody thinks that there's a political answer for how you go into a war torn area and create a, a you know a, a movement how you how we go to war without having our warriors on the ground. So we on the Matt Townsend show we've put together something to help the the Iraqi army. To kind of motivate? To motivate them, to get them ready for war. Ready! Okay! Go team, go! Go team, go! Go team, go! Yeah. Go team, go! Go team, mm-hmm. go! Go team, go! Huh. Can't you just see him excited? Mm. We're, like, s- we'll s- we're still developing the lyrics to yeah. kind of like vary it up. Well, and yeah, we've got to figure out their language. <laughs> but nothing... Gets you more psyched than a really good pep squad. So, well, are we going to hold a pep rally for them, or yeah, kind of a USO, but for not even a USO? I think we just ought to have a pep team. Okay, kind of a cheer, a pep squad. Hmm. And it doesn't have to be all this. These were all women, but you could have men. Could maybe you could do some lifts and um, in that part of the world that might be more accepted. Yeah, it doesn't have to just be one cheer because sometimes there's there's other cheers. Like what? What other cheers could you do? We had go team go. Yeah. Uh, well, you could do blow uh, blow up that tank. We've got more spirit. Yes, we do. We've got more spirit. How about you? And then the oh, then so the across rebel, the, the battlefield. Yeah. Wow. And then you see if they respond back. We've got more spirit. Yes, we do. We've hmm. got more spirit. Something something. 
something. There's a Steven Spielberg movie about World War One, and there was a horse. Okay. Yeah. War and horse. Is it war horse? Yeah. 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 And, and you saw the Germans on one side. Uh-huh. And it was either U.S. or British. I yeah. didn't follow. On the other side, and they were like raising their hats up on their bayonets. Yeah. Raising their helmets up. And then they went out and they played a soccer game. Like the, yeah, right the, in the middle about, of their yeah. trenches. And that was Christmas Day. And then they all went back and right. fought the next day. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a beginning. Okay. I'm just thinking we've tried everything else. Yeah. We try to keep fighting them. We've been trying to bomb them. That hasn't worked. No. Usually that works. Usually yeah. just just blowing things up and, and mm-hmm. problems disappear, but they just continue to grow. See, that's because we're talking to a, a psychologist in a few moments about how to parent your kids differently. Mm. Why don't we go to war differently with pep squads? <laughs> and, we and have like a, a cheer competition. Don't you think? It'd be great. It, I mean, it's it's just, you got to be different. You Clear, know? Clear, definitive winner. Yeah. Like, the person with the most spirit wins. If it works in high school, you have a spirit off. Or why not have a sing-off, like a cappella groups? Oh, wow. And, you know, each uh, each contingency brings a different group of a cappella singers, maybe a barbershop quartet or two. And we have a sing-off. Maybe a, a rap battle. <laughs> could do that. We will have a Mormon rapper on next hour. We'll ask him about that. Could a rap- would he be willing to go fight? Would he, would he be willing to go rap for the country mm. in a rap-off? But we're not there. What do you mean? We've been told repeatedly there are no boots on the ground in that region. What are they wearing? Sandals? There are advisors. Yeah. There are... Are pe- they on the ground or where are they just elevated? Well, they're, they're, they're not like... The in the battle, they're yeah. they're behind the scenes. They're advising. Yeah, they're teaching. Yeah. they're not on the front line. Well, you that's, the, the, that's the thing. We need to take action. We need to be proactive. Did you hear the question that they asked the president's spokesperson? So, are these people, if they're if they're if we're not on the ground there, right. then these hundreds of people that aren't in battle, but are forward advisors, yes, but they're not they're not in a war and they're not in battle. Are they actually then, should they get like combat time? Yeah, there was a couple uh, individuals that were injured. Yeah. And they're like, well, they weren't in combat, so it's not combat So they're asking the president this because it's the president that really doesn't want to say that we are at war still because he had already declared said we're not not going to have boots on the ground. Right. And he keeps increasing how many people go over. So are these people... The state, actually the Department of Defense, their spokesperson keeps saying they've never said the phrase boots on the ground. Okay. So he says that, and then the comedy satire shows then grab all the clips of the president, that exact spokesperson, all these different people saying boots on the ground. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) And uh, a French media uh, group this week had video of uh, what looked to be U.S. special forces on the front lines with patches on their shoulders of a Kurdish group that's fighting – yeah, I think ISIS. that was I think that was a picture from another war. <laughs> they had they they took off their American flag patches and put on these other patches so they could blend in. But it, but it's hard to blend in when you have better weapons and and yeah. the night vision the goggles and all the equipment that you come with special forces and yeah. the Kurdish guys have their rifles. That's I mean it's sad. And, these guys are at war. Let's just say they're at war. No. And I mean give them war pay for heaven's sake. There's two wars. There's public relations. That's true. And then there's the actual shooting. Well, there's multiple wars. There's the political. That's one. Right? 
Then there's the PR war, which everyone's – and then there's there's supposedly something where people fire bullets. There's three. And all three of them we haven't been doing very well at. Yeah, but we're only involved in two of them. Allegedly. And a rap battle yeah. bringing this back home I, – I think you're right. I think would be most effective. That is brilliant. We may have just solved the problem. Okay, I'll, World I'll, peace. I'll try and book a ticket to Iraq, and then we can ask James if he wants to go. Um, you might want to check with him before you start booking tickets. It's I actually kind of do like the idea of you booking a ticket. There's also travel there. advisories. I don't know if you could fly actually to Iraq. You have to go to like Turkey. Well, yeah, so we, we – just take, the, You go to Turkey and then you just take the, the shuttle. The FBI will just arrest you at the airport because anyone going to Turkey, they fly. No, have you heard about question. the Fallujah shuttle? The Fallujah shuttle? It's a great – it's a great ride. Nice. TVs, <laughs> air conditioning? Yeah. Uh, for half the way. My parents said I was going to Bible camp. <laughs> Is Bible camp around here? I don't know nothing Fallujah. Mom, what happened? Where's Fallujah? She meant Fallujah, Oregon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not Fallujah, Iraq. I'm looking for Fallujah. I'm a missionary. <laughs> I'm here for Bible camp. <laughs> oh, that is so sad. I'm a Christian missionary in Fallujah. Good luck. Man, that just went sideways. <laughs> Anyway, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking parenting with uh, some interesting tips using what's called games theory. It's a uh, it's just a mathematically tested measures to make your kids cooperate. Hmm. We're going to trick them, as Ben calls it. We're going to we're going to sneak in the back door and figure out uh, how to motivate our kids without them even knowing it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, teaching you how to. Uh, Love and raise your kids with a little trickery. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, games theory, have you ever heard of it? It's the uh, mathematical analysis of conflict resolution. So game theory obviously has its place in decision-making between international businessmen, heads of state, and with your five-year-old? What? Here to explain is Associate Professor of Philosophy at Carnegie Mellon University and author of the book, The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting, Dr. Kevin Zolman. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, Dr. Zolman. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. I I have uh, I've been a fan of games theory uh, since studying mediation or yeah mediation and negotiations, but uh, to have it as a parenting tool to me seems brilliant. Explain to us um, your work. Explain just generally what is games theory and and how you you've come to kind of use it uh, as a parenting tool. Yeah. So game theory we call it the science of strategic thinking. It's a uh, a theory that's been used to think about negotiation, but also other types of theory that was invented in the 1940s and used a lot in economics and political science and psychology and, and related fields. Um, but as you said, for the most part, it was applied to sort of big-scale decisions like international negotiation or, or, or business decisions. And one of the things that my co-author and I sort of figured out as we were starting to work on the book is that a lot of these big-scale strategies are strategies that you can employ in the home with your kids, 
And even though it's maybe not as uh, monumental a decision as the decision whether to sign a treaty, nonetheless, you can get a lot, you can get a lot of the same benefits out of using game theory to try and reduce conflict in your home, just like you can reduce it in international relations. Yeah, right. And it's, I mean, I guess when I when I think of it, um, I've never necessarily, well, I guess I have sensed it as a mathematical equation. But it's it's almost, the game gets complicated because you can start to actually measure outcomes of how the game is played. And if you alter one part of the game, then you can start to see how it would alter the outcome as well, right? Exactly. And that's one of the things that game theory has really shown is that Sometimes surprising little changes in the way that you structure how two people interact can radically alter the way the outcome proceeds. And so one of the things we do in the book, we try and take the mathematics away because, of course, not everybody wants to read a bunch of equations. Boring, right? Yeah, exactly. But what we try and do is distill the lessons that the mathematics teaches us presented in a way that's, that's understandable and clear and easy for people to, to put to use in their own homes. And exactly that, you can make these small changes that maybe you wouldn't have even thought were a big deal, but that might make a big difference in how the outcomes with your negotiations with your kids or between your kids uh, turn out. Okay, let me give a naive ex- example and then start teaching us. Okay, so okay, sure. if we're going to do an arm wrestle and I'm going to fight against you and compete against you, um, I guess I, I mean, I would probably win fewer times if we are competing, but if I would learn to cooperate and even let you win sometimes, so you would let me win sometimes, and we create a spirit of cooperation, we together could win more together than we could competing. Exactly. That, that's a great example because it's one of the things that game theory teaches you is that it's, it's uh, oftentimes if you can find ways to make mutually beneficial or win-win outcomes, that's good for everybody. Now, that's easy to say in theory, but right. sometimes hard in practice. So one of the things, like with your example, say you and I have to arm wrestle over and over, but we want to sort of do this with minimal effort, right? So I I don't care so much about winning. I just don't want to get tired, and the same for you. We could fight each time and try as hard as we could, or we could make an agreement where with the agreement we might take turns. I'll let you win one, then you let me win one. And if we do that, then we can both end up the same. Each of us win equal numbers, but with minimal effort. The critical thing is how do you how do you enforce that? Right. So if, you know, if if it's if if we're just going to arm wrestle once, and I say, oh, I'll let you win. Well, it doesn't seem like something that I might follow through on. Maybe I'll try and trick you, and then try and win myself. And so, the one of the things that game theory uh, has shown is that repeating the interaction is really important. So it's really important in your story that we arm wrestle several times in a row. Yeah. That way, we can make an agreement. I'll let you win this time, but you've got to let me win the next time. And then if you do that, then I'll let you win the third time. Hmm. So we can make an agreement that becomes, uh, becomes one that we'll keep to precisely because the threat of the future. I could always retaliate on you in the future, and that keeps you sort of in line yeah. uh, today. And which is why this is a brilliant, seemingly brilliant technique to, to use with the, your children, because – they're going to be in, you know, reciprocal, interactive relationships over time. Exactly, exactly. And so one of the things we have a chapter about this in the book, we talk about how it is that you can 
design interactions that maybe are going badly with your kids in order to try and make them repeated in a more, you know, condensed way. So, for instance, you know, if your kids have to cooperate to pick up the room, maybe one of them shirks on, on you know, his responsibilities and sits out and lets his sister do all the cleaning right. and she gets mad. Well, what you can do is you can say, instead of just saying, clean up the room, you can say, okay, the little, you know, your son is going to pick up one toy. Then your daughter will pick up one toy. Then your son will pick up one toy, right? And by doing it that way, the kids can see, well, if I don't pick up the toy, then my sister isn't going to pick up her toy. Interesting. And we're not getting out of here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because so many times as parents, we would just divide the divide and conquer. Great. You do this side, you do this side, but the other person may not ever do their side. Exactly. But if you do it this way and then you pr- say promise a reward or, or threaten a punishment if, if, if the room doesn't get clean or if it does get clean, then the kids can see, ah, our best strategy is to cooperate with one another in order to get the ice cream reward for Holy having clean. cow. Now, is this um, something that happens in nature naturally? I mean, do, do two monkeys do it this way? <laughs> Yes, actually, my favorite example of this is 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 a bit creepy, but I kind of like it nonetheless. Is with vampire bats. Oh yeah. So they, these are real things, uh, and if your listeners didn't know that, they might not sleep tonight. But <laughs> they really do exist. They they live in caves during the day and fly out and look for mammals whose blood they can eat uh, uh, at night. Ugh. And when they come back to the cave, you know it's hard to find the uh, hard to find the big enough mammals. So sometimes they don't eat. And so if one didn't eat during the night, he'll walk up to a friend and he'll ask for some food from the friend. And apparently, it looks as though they, they implement exactly this strategy. They remember each other, and if they see that, that somebody who had helped them out comes begging for food, they'll help them out. Wow. Nature. Nature, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And yet we all fight with each other. Exactly. Um, <laughs> not crazy. So give us a, teach us another one. So, so learning how to cooperate. Uh, so let me get straight. In the book, you teach the principles and then you give examples for how, how to get that principle to be applied? Exactly. So each chapter of the book looks at a different parenting dilemma. You know, where your kids are fighting, or they can't decide how to how to uh, split things fairly, or you they never listen to you when you threaten to punish them, or something like this. And then we walk people through the sort of lessons of game theory as they apply to that specific case, and then at the end conclude with you know how can you put this to use to solve similar problems that a parent might have. Hmm. Honestly, that is it's it's brilliant um, because too we are we are converting them into a cooperative mentality, right? We're, we're fostering a cooperative mentality. That's exactly right. And, you know, game theory was accused of, and I think, you know, somewhat fairly in the early days, of being really about conflict. It was invented to deal with the Cold War, and so there was lots of analysis of what were called zero-sum games, games where if I win, then you have to lose, and vice mm-hmm. versa. But modern game theory is much, is much uh, nicer and friendlier than that. And really, we started to turn to understand games where there are cooperative, what are called cooperative solutions, win-win solutions. And one of the things that we emphasize in the book is that by showing your kids the various strategies that they can learn to cooperate with one another, not only are you reducing the conflict in your household, but you're also teaching them lessons that they can take with them well into their adulthood because of the same strategies that work between brother and sister are going to work between husband and wife or between uh, uh, two employees that can't get along or in any number of different contexts 
uh, in adulthood. Oh man, that's good. Uh, give us um, give us another example. What what's another example of fostering cooperation with our kids, getting them to um, to even maybe just even cooperate with the schedule? Yeah, with the schedule. So that's another one that's really that's really tricky, right? Kids don't want to go to bed. Right. They want to do something else. Or they want to keep watching TV. And so how can you get them not just to cooperate with each other, but to cooperate with you, the parents? <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that we look into is different strategies that parents can use to either punish or reward their kids for engaging in behavior that the parents want them to do. The classic example that we talk about, the one everybody knows, is the dad who threatens to turn the car around if the kids don't behave in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. right? We all know the story, and we all know why the story doesn't work, because dad wants to go on vacation too, and so he doesn't want to follow through on that threat. Game theorists have a term for this. It's called a non-credible threat. And the idea here is, of course, the kids are smart enough, usually, to figure out that dad's not serious. He doesn't want to cancel the 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 uh, the family vacation. So what one of the things we talk about is we talk about how parents can design threats or 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 rewards, punishments or rewards that they uh, that they want to follow through on. So one of the suggestions we give is instead of threatening to end the vacation, what Dad could have done uh, is say, well, we're still going on vacation, but instead of going to the amusement park on Saturday, we're going to go to the museum. Oh, there you go. Right? So that's something the kids are going to go, well, Dad likes museums, so he's going to want to do that. And so now we should behave because Dad will actually follow through on his threat. That's just (laughs) one example, but we give several different ways that you can make your threats or threats of punishment here credible. I mean, sure, it's ruining museums for children, but (laughs) (laughs) you still – it was credible. It's a credible threat. And that's not the only thing. No, that's great. we also talk about other things where, you know, you could, if, say, one of your children is misbehaving, you could threaten to replace their favorite activity with one of their brother or sister's favorite activities, right? So there that's the case where, where again, um, brother or sister say, oh, you know, this is exciting. Maybe I can get to do more things that I want to do. And the one who's misbehaving says, oh, I better be careful because, of course, dad's going to do that. Um, mm. uh, I love this. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Zolman uh, from Carnegie Mellon University, and he's the author of the the book, The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting. And we will take a break, come back, continue discussing the games theory approach to to your parenting. And really, when you think about it, it's, it's just smart motivation, really. It's about understanding what drives and motivates somebody to get something done. Holy cow, who'd have thunk it? Parenting 101. It's not just conflict resolution anymore. It's cooperation. Stick with us. We'll continue uh, in just a minute. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We are on the phone with Dr. Kevin uh, Zolman, who is the author of The Games Theorist Guide to Parenting. He also is a professor at Carnegie Mellon University and is um, walking us through some of the uh, theories that are in his his book. Dr. Zolman, welcome back to the show. 
Yeah, thank you. Great to have you here. Um, really, this the, the uh, Slate magazine, I think it was the Slate magazine that, that called what uh, your approach is, is the benevolent art of manipulation or the art of benevolent <laughs> manipulation. It's It really is allowing uh, people to interact in a way that I guess is more – productive it's 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 more real for the players exactly i mean part of the idea here is that you know as a parent but also in other situations you have the opportunity to sort of design the way that two people might interact and the way that you design that can inf- can affect what outcomes uh, you're going to see so for instance you know as a parent if you set up the wrong kind of incentives for your kids you're going to create an incentive for them to fight with each other or to compete with each other or to try and, you know, undermine each other. Hmm. Or if you create the right sort of incentives, you can create a situation where your kids want to cooperate, where they are benefited when they cooperate. And over time, they'll learn that they can get what they want by cooperating. Yeah, and, and which is healthy. So it's, it's parenting them today in a way that they can actually deal and manage with their future <laughs> Um, instead of having weird systems that we only have as parents uh, that don't apply later in life. That's exactly right. So in the, in the first couple of chapters of our book, we, we look at a collection of uh, ways to divide up goods that two people both want. This is a, a, a situation that arises to kids. You know, they, want, they both want to play with the same toy or they both want the bigger room. But it goes all the way to in college, you might be splitting an apartment with a, a college roommate and you can't decide who gets the bigger room in the apartment, all the way up to adulthood where you have mom and dad trying to decide, you know, who has to put the kid to bed this evening or who's <laughs> going to cook dinner. And so, you know, these are the, the types of strategies that by teaching your kids in the home, they can use for the rest of their lives. Give us some examples of uh, dividing up something. Yeah, so there, we have two chapters about this because they're kind of two different type versions of this problem. One version is you're trying to divide something up, but it's something that you can cut in half. Game theorists love the analogy of cutting a cake, right? So you yeah. have a cake in front of you. You both want as much cake as you can get, but you have to decide how to divide it up fairly. When you've got two people, the tried-and-true parenting technique has the game theorist endorsement. One kid cuts and the other kid picks. So now the kid who cuts has an incentive to make it exactly as fair as possible because if he cuts one piece a little bit bigger than the other, well, his sister's going to take the bigger piece. Right. So this is, you know, the game theorists say that this is the best strategy. And it works for lots of things other than cake. So suppose you've got a big pile of toys and the kids are fighting over which toys they're going to play with. Well, you can have one kid sort the toys into two piles. And then the other kid gets to pick which pile hmm. he's going to play with. It's the same strategy, but now you're doing it with a collection of things like piles of toys, or you could do it with books or a lot of other things. The second general type of, of division, and this one's harder, is when you have something that you can't cut in half. So the brother and sister are fighting over who gets to name the new family dog. There's no way that you, you know, you're not going to take their names and put them together or, or change the dog's name halfway through its life. Right. So now you have something that you really, there's no way to cut it in half in any plausible way. And so now you have to decide how do you allocate this single resource to the kids. And here we advocate a little unorthodox method uh, for parenting, but very common in, in 
outside of parenting. We advocate that parents auction it off. Hmm. But instead of using money, which might seem a little bit miserly for parents to charge their kids to name the family dog, we advocate that they have the kids pay in a different way with wow. chores. Yeah. So you can say to the kids, you know, what chore would you be willing to do to name, to name the dog? Well, maybe I'd be willing to clean the kitchen. You ask the other, you know, you ask the sister, what would she be willing to do? Well, maybe she'd be willing to clean the kitchen for a whole week. <laughs> and you go back to the brother, well, maybe he'd be willing to, to clean the kitchen and the living room for a week. And you can go back and forth, and eventually you'll find out which child really wants to name the dog more, because that kid will be willing to do harder or more chores in order, for, in order to be able to name the dog. Wow. Well, what if after the whole thing they just decide they want to cut the dog in half? Yeah. <laughs> well, now you've got to worry about it. <laughs> then you've got to take your kids to therapy. It's uh, Because that's an interesting way. And I could see a lot of people would say, well, yeah, that's not parenting. You should have them hug it out and, and take turns and find a way to do it together. But, but in a way, what you're doing, I guess, is you're allowing them to, to see kind of a cause and effect relationship to what they want. Exactly. And, and one of the things I find, at least, and maybe I'm just abnormal in this respect, is that I sometimes don't even realize to myself how much I care about something until I really think through, you know, well, what would I be willing to do to get it? And so I think one of the things that's useful about the auctions is it's not just that it gets chores done, although that's, of course, a benefit. Yeah. But it's that it really helps your kids to start the process of thinking through, well, I want to name the family dog, but do I really, how much do I want it? And do I want it more than my sister? Hmm. That's the critical thing is that, you know, kids think, well, I want to do it, and so therefore I ought to do it. But they, don't, they haven't yet gotten to the point where they start thinking about, well, how much does she want to do it? And how does that compare to how much I want to do it? Yeah. Is, um, where does the fairness idea come in? A lot of times I hear kids complaining that something's not fair. Yeah. And yeah. so how, how do you handle fairness? This is a really interesting topic. And is one, this, my co-author was the uh, person who really investigated this. And one of the things that surprised both of us when we found it out is that there really are actually two different ideas of fairness, and kids learn them at different stages. So the first one is the, is the sort of jealous notion of fairness. That's the, it's unfair because he got more than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that arises at a very young age. I mean, kids develop it really early on. And any parent, I think, knows, you know, the kids will be in tears as soon as their uh, friend gets more candy at the birthday party or something. The other notion of fairness, the one that that is sort of you might think of as the more mature, more sophisticated notion of fairness, is that it's unfair when I get more than him. Hmm. And that notion of fairness doesn't really set in until kids are more like seven or eight years old. So that the idea that kids might develop a, a, a dislike for getting too much more for themselves than somebody else gets doesn't set in until much later. So one of the things we talk about is how you can help to teach your kids that it, unfairness goes both ways and how you can set up situations to encourage younger kids to be fair with their brother and sister, even though they might not have yet developed this notion of fairness that, uh, that uh, comes at a later age. Do you, so do you, is there a game? Is there a – I'm just trying to think of how that would look um, to create – the fairness both ways. I mean, it's a it's an interesting idea. I have never 
thought of it when I get more that's that's kind of a different level of maturity. But, you know, in our world, we kind of say, well, if you're getting more, just keep getting it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, one of the jokes that, that, that my co-author and I shared is, you know, there's certainly a good number of people in the public eye that we can think of who maybe haven't got to that eight-year-old stage yet. <laughs> no, and some of them are running for president. Um, but it's a uh, – one of the things – when I was a divorce mediator, we would always say, great, make the deal and then let's just be willing to reverse it. Uh-huh. So if you if we can reverse the deal and it can go either way, yeah, then it seems fair. Yeah, yeah. That's so. Game theorists have a name for it, and it's called envy free. So what that means is, if both parties are indifferent between which side of the deal they get, then it's envy free. I don't envy what you got because I'm I don't desire what you have any more than what I have, hmm. and so. Game theorists are really interested in how do you design negotiations so that you produce these kinds of envy-free outcomes. Is it, in the end, your goal with the book and games theory, summarize it? So what we wanted to do was we wanted to use this sort of sometimes esoteric and very complicated theory and distill the lessons so that people who don't have the time or desire to really dig into it can take advantage of it. Yeah. And so we wanted to take these ideas that had been sort of floating around in academic circles for a long time and known, you know, taught in business school and taught in political science and give it so that the parent can really get the idea quickly, put it to use in their home without necessarily having to learn all the bells and whistles and details that the sometimes very complicated theory uh, would require if you were to, say, take a college class in it. Yeah, you don't need a Ph.D. for this one. Exactly. Ex- unless you want to know it. <laughs> unless you want to know it. And of, right. course, I, of course, you know, I love it. So, I, so I it was worth it. the Ph.D. <laughs> As we wrap it up, Kevin, what would you say, what's the one thing that parents should remember to, to it's just a basic rule that might you know very easily get them into kind of the games theory mentality. Absolutely, one of the critical things with game theory is you've got to think about you've got to think about the interaction from the perspective of the other person. So it's very easy for a parent to say, well, of course I wouldn't you know uh, skip my homework every day because I know grades are important. But your young teenage daughter might not think about it that way because she has different priorities and she's thinking about things in a, in a different way. She's thinking about the future differently than you do. And so what's always very important is to think about not what would you do in that situation, but given your, how your kids think about the world, what will they do? I think that's one of the real central insights that game theory can, can present. Great stuff. Dr. Kevin Zolman, thank you so much for your work and for uh, the book, The Game Theorist's Guide to Parenting. Thanks for being with us. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, again, how the science of strategic thinking can help you deal with the toughest negotiators you know, your kids. The book's written by uh, Paul Rayburn and Dr. Kevin Zolman. Excellent stuff, folks. Hey, take we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. It's interesting. Whenever uh, you teach game theory to people, they feel manipulated. 
And I used to teach classes uh, where you play a game, and it, the game is basically called win as much as you can. And you work on teams, and your goal is to win as much as you can. And inevitably, the teams that can cooperate end up winning more together than those that can't cooperate or don't cooperate. And you don't see it happening until all of a sudden your team starts falling apart because you've become so competitive with each other. But uh, at the end of those meetings, we'd have a big debriefing session where we'd talk and everyone would feel like, oh, I was so manipulated. You guys just kept tricking us. But one thing to just be thinking about with your own parenting style, if you don't like some of the examples that Kevin Zolman gave, like, I'm not going to have my kids bid for naming the dog. Um, ask yourself why. Because inherent in every decision we make in life, there's a belief, right? There's an assumption, a prejudice going on behind every way we parent, right? So we all know that the person that should decide about the dog's name should obviously be the parents. And if that is your belief, then it's absurd to think that your kids are going to negotiate or, you know, uh, and, and bargain with each other to see who gets to name the dog. But because you don't like something, inherent in your dislike of something There is a hidden belief. There's a hidden assumption, a prejudice, uh, a way of thinking that is – it's unique to you. It might be unique to your family or it might even be accepted by a whole society, right? But it's still – there's a belief behind it. And I – one of the things I would just suggest that I I really like about uh, Kevin Zolman's work is let's just start evaluating – how you parent, and why you do what you do. Why would you let your kids fight with you, negotiate with you, you know, create chaos for you every single night and exhaust you instead of turning it into, instead of finding some other way of leading them? Why would you allow that to happen? Well, there's a belief that, yeah, you know, you can't, Kids will be kids, so they're just going to run me ragged. Well, not necessarily, because you can set up the systems to work the way the systems are going to work. Um, Kids can try all they want to make something happen the way exactly the way they want it, but you're still a parent, and you can still set up the systems. So, and be careful, because a lot of times in America, we think competition's the greatest way to motivate someone. Right? If I can just get my kids competing to see who's first to the car, that's great. The problem is uh, I've done that with my kids. Like, hey, first one to the car wins whatever, and last one to the car has to do whatever. The problem is I've also seen my kids when we do that, they actually sabotage each other. <laughs> and now all of a sudden one of my kids runs out to the car, I can't find my shoes. And it's because the child they were competing with hid their shoes. Brilliant. So competition, it's not the end-all, be-all. And you got to be careful, too, and especially in your family systems, because if you create too much competition, you're going to make it harder for them to cooperate. And in the end, we need our kids cooperating, don't we? we got to cooperate. So uh, be watching out for that. And parenting, it's just a skill, right? Learn. Let's just learn. 
Nobody, nobody needs to die. We just are going to learn. But read a book. Let's get better at it, and let's start trying a few things that are different. Um, it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Just because your parents raised you one way doesn't mean there's not some really incredible research that you could be raised and parented another way. It's called learning, folks. It's called growth. That's why we do the show, to give you the information you need to live a healthier life, to lead a happier family. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Should I just play it? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome back to the program. Are you okay? Uh, yeah. Just had a little sneeze there. All right. We've got a great uh, great hour left with you. Of course, we will be getting to our one of our guests, uh, the rapping Mormon, the Mormon rapper, Mormon James the Mormon rapper. There we go. I'm big into I'm big into rapping. I think his latest album. Yeah. I'm not a rapper. I'm not a rapper. It's on his Twitter handle. Oh, really? It just says, you know, you have that description yeah, on yeah, your yeah. Twitter, but it says, I'm not a rapper. Except he's... Ask him about that. Rapper. What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, what is... I like to lay down... No, you don't. I like to lay down no. some rhymes. You're not laying down tracks. You're not laying down rhymes. You don't have mad beats. I have none all of, of the above. None of that's happening in your No, I've had a mad beat. Don't tell me I've never had a mad beat. <laughs> Shot right through me. Made me so mad. I got a uh, great guest. Uh, he'll be coming up in just a few moments. Um, James Curran's his name, and he is known as the, the Mormon rapper. He's number one on the charts without talking about sex or drugs, which seems weird because hmm. some would assume that that has to go with rapping, right? Ben looks like he's guilty of something. Anyway, uh, we've got uh, that coming up. Also, we'll be talking with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Hmm. We'll be doing a hero of the day. And I've got a couple of crazy stories that we'll get to. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country? Thanks, Matt. In a newly published interview with the, in The Hollywood Reporter, Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump seemed unaware of the term Brexit which, of course, we talked about during the first hour of the show, the popular shorthand for the United Kingdom's potential withdrawal from the European Union. During the discussion, Trump's interviewer Michael Wolff asked, and Brexit, your position? The candidate's response, huh? Wolff then repeated, Brexit, for Trump, who reportedly replied with a look of confusion. And when Wolff explained he he was referring to the potential for Britain's exit from the EU, Trump replied, oh, yeah. I think they should leave, echoing a position he's held for several months. So apparently the term Brexit, which is 
He thought Wolf was slurring his words. Yeah. So, Where he, is your so he doesn't know what the term is that you know a continent is referring yeah. to a, a big referendum that's coming up that may affect trade deals with the United States. But you know when you give him the detail, he oh yeah, I'm for that. There. So, but the GOP nominee has long done business in the UK and will visit Scotland to reopen his Turnberry Golf Resort on the same day of the Brexit voting results. Oh, that's going to go down really well. So he'll be over there. It'll be great. The Pentagon announced Tuesday that two U.S. troops were injured over the weekend. One in Raqqa, Syria. The other in Erbil, Iraq. Both were reportedly hit by indirect fire, and yet the Pentagon hesitated to call it a combat injury, saying it happened, quote, behind the forward line of troops. The Department of Defense Mm. said Tuesday the personnel were not engaged in active combat when they were injured and that the troops were there to advise and assist U.S. allies. This is the first time the Pentagon has acknowledged the combat injuries of U.S. troops in the fight against ISIS. This is what we were talking about. This is not boots on the ground. No, 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 no boots. They are wearing boots. And there is ground. They are touching the ground, but boots on the ground. And there was a a military device that apparently went off indirectly. Injured too, yeah. But there, there, there's no war there. One guy was in Raqqa, Syria, which is known as the headquarters of the Islamic State. But yeah, no. Again, moving on. The U.S. death rate rose for the first time in a decade last year, according to new federal data. The new numbers from the National Centers for Health and Statistics show more Americans are dying from drug overdoses, suicide, and Alzheimer's disease. The rates have been declining for years amid improvements in medical technology, disease management, and overall health. While certain groups, like less educated whites, have seen sharp rises in death rates due to the prescription drug epidemic, national increases for the entire population have become exceedingly rare. A spokesperson from the uh, National Centers for Health Statistics said it's significant because the uptick doesn't usually happen. But the question is, he added, "Why? Do, what does it mean? We really need more data to know if we're looking back at 2016 and we see another rise of the entire population then there's a problem that we need to yeah, address. Right. But what it is, nobody knows. Um, uh, when he's not pitching for the Detroit Tigers, Francisco Rodriguez heads home for some R&R in his native Venezuela. Oh, yeah. But the 34-year-old came back last offseason with more than just memories. He contracted the Zika virus hmm. and was and – was, uh, he said it wasn't pleasant. He says for two entire weeks he was bedridden, suffering from intense body aches, headaches, vomiting, and weakness. He, he said it wasn't a cold. Trust me, he says. A cold, you have a sneeze, a headache, couple take a couple Tylenol, and you're done. You don't have a cold for two weeks. Rodriguez had blood work taken. The Zika virus was confirmed. He's better now, but says it took two months before he felt completely healed. Oh, wow. He's also warning people about attending the Summer Olympics in Rio. Boy, Rio is, uh, you know, they're, now they're questioning if it's cursed. <clears throat> It's looking like it. <laughs> yeah. Let's check the curse alert. Their government's in turmoil. Yeah. I think I read, uh, was it like 60% of their equivalent of Congress is under some kind of investigation of many different types of corruption. Yeah. So like 300 members of their Congress are under investigation. Their president was impeached. Mm. Right? Just right. all these different things are going on. And then you have the health crisis. And then they have a huge economic issue with jobs and other problems going on. And uh, a lot of the venues are under question. Apparently, if the venue is on TV, it's ready to go. If it's not going to be featured on TV, eh. See. You hear about uh, the rivers where they have couches and. I know. It's already expensive. All kinds of problems. So you can't delay the Olympics. No. How do you delay the Olympics? it's, It's done. It'll happen. And so everyone goes there and comes back with Zika. Or something else from the river. <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't even get bit by a mosquito, but something in the river totally made me sick. Should be well, so we stay home and watch it is what he's trying to say. Yeah. Except oh they need the moo. They need money. They do. They, they well, that's what they're saying. Usually we had somebody on before talking about these big worldwide events don't usually bring in money. It right. usually leaves everyone in debt. Well, and especially all those soccer stadiums and everything they had to build. And the then World all of a sudden a no one ago. shows up yeah. for and, the party. And now they're building all these venues oh, and then man. the disease hit. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's sad. It, it really is sad. And uh, you heard that Donald Trump, he's, he's Mad Magazine. I didn't know this was still going on. I thought Mad Magazine was no longer in print. But apparently it is. And Donald Trump's on the cover. He's a man of action. I bet you he's been on the cover before. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Just kind of go ahead. But if you ever wanted to know what's going on under his hair, mm. go to our Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show. We're going to post a picture that's from Mad Magazine, what's going on underneath the hair. Pretty cool. little segue for you there. Just a little taste. Hey, also, um, did you hear this uh, story about a massive diamond? This is out of control. A massive diamond. The size of a tennis ball. And it can fetch 70 million bucks wow. at Sotheby's auction. Three billion year old diamond, the size of a tennis ball. Apparently, it bounces like a tennis ball. Wow. We have exclusive audio. The largest discovered in over a century, it could sell for 70 million bucks. It measured 1,109 carats. Wow. The second largest gem quality rough diamond ever discovered. That's much bigger than one what, I bought. What were carrots doing in in a diamond? It's a different kind of Yeah, carrots. it's a different kind of carrot, son. Thanks thanks for helping yeah. there. Damn. Yeah. Okay. He's, Never mind. he's like, I like carrots. <laughs> They're good for your it's, eyes. Um, they found the diamond. Uh, it was unearthed in November in Botswana at a mine owned by uh, Canada's Lakara Diamond Corporation. Wow. $70 million diamond the size of a tennis ball. Hmm. Best don't, game of tennis you can ever play. Don't show your wife. Oh, I'll have to buy her a tennis bracelet. That's right. Or she'll be like, you know, I really need an upgrade on this ring you gave me. <laughs> for some odd reason, this ring doesn't quite. It just doesn't do it for me anymore. It's too heavy. I wonder uh, what that feels like, though. That's a. I saw someone holding it. It's, did you? That's a rock. It's like, it's, well, it's, it's not. It hasn't been uh, carved yeah. or what do they call that? Uh, cut. Cut. There you go. Uncut diamond. It's just a raw diamond, so it's kind of it's, – it's, it's not in the diamond shape that you traditionally would see, but it's huge. It's a, like they said, a tennis ball, and some guy's holding it. I probably It's probably a couple pounds. That is um, – I don't know. What do you think? Like I'm not into gaudy, ostentatious mm. statements in my jewelry. Which is surprising. I wouldn't go – I'd go more for a golf ball, maybe two golf balls okay. sized – Diamonds. What about a tennis ball set with a, like mm-hmm. two golf balls? Mm-hmm. I could probably make that's, an exception. That's, <laughs> no, this isn't the thing you wear. This is a thing you set in a case somewhere and people try to steal it for the next hundred years. Yeah, but see, then why? Why? It's the game of it. Where are you going to sell it? You, you sell just, it. You, there's a black market for everything. Right. There's always people that want what they can't have. And they'll pay a good price for things that they can't have. And all of a sudden you have it, they'll pay you all kinds of money. See, this is how thievery works. This is how people like you work. But, like you, what do you mean? Wait, what? 
Oh, sorry, that just slipped out. Okay, I gotta, okay. I gotta do this story because this is freaking me out. What? So, okay, lions are dangerous. This is true. Are you with me? Yes. In Africa, the watering holes are gathering places where all sorts of thirsty animals, prey, and predators alike come together to drink. But there's a video from a tourist that's camping at a at a game reserve in Botswana. At the Ma- Mabu Swabe Game Reserve. And Versus. they wake up in the morning and there's three lions yeah. licking the rain off their tent. Mm. See there? And you can see – you can see the lions' faces in their tent. You can see just through the little tent door. Right. Do you think the lions see them? They're just licking through no. – it looks like the mosquito net, right? Yeah. You know what the campers need? What? That lit the tongue extension oh, from Kickstarter. The licky. Yeah. The licky we talked <laughs> the about yesterday. Brush. Cause then they could put it in their mouth and they could go lick. They could bond with the lion. Oh, yeah. that would be so cute. No, I think that would end up uh, how you think it would end up. But these lions are licking the dew off of this family's tent. And I guess they're sitting there saying, Oh, that's cute. What would you be saying if you saw lions licking your tent? What the (laughs) – mommy. (laughs) I don't know if I'd pull my phone out and record it. I know. They're recording it. It's about a 40-second record. But maybe that's the only way out of the tent. Oh, I'm sure. Would you make a new door really quick? Oh, for sure. Get out the back of the tent? Yeah. What do you know? You know the rules. Whenever you go out on a safari, the rule is if they're licking the tent at the front door, you go out the window. That's the rule. Unless they're standing there too. And by the way, they're licking the tent so aggressively, it's like hitting their their little mini bar they have in their tent. It's crazy. So we'll come look for the video at uh, at Dr. Matt's show. Again, folks, uh, th- there's also video. We'll post another video too of somebody at Yellowstone who got too close to an elk. Man, people. These animals are wild. I mean, I understand letting the lion lick your tent. I get that. Don't get me wrong. Who doesn't let that happen? But if you go to uh, if you go to Yellowstone Park and there's an elk, I wouldn't walk up to it to take a picture of it. So there's two people filming an elk, and the elk sees one of them and starts charging it. Basically, the guy retreats but trips and falls, which is you know not good. But the elk, being a good gentlemanly elk, stopped. Didn't go pound on that little guy. Just stopped. And then backed off. My work is done. (sighs) Folks, these are wild animals. Don't let them lick your tent. And don't, whatever you do, get close to take a picture of a live animal in Yellowstone. Sometimes a shot is just so good. Yeah. Yeah. It might be your last. And somewhere there's a diamond that's about the size of a tennis ball that Ben thinks bounces and makes magical diamond sounds. I really do think we need to send a licky to the people in Africa. Oh, we, we will. We'll for sure send a licky, a licky brush, licky brush to help you lick your cats. Get the hair out. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with James the Mormon. Believe it or not, a rapper that's Mormon, that's LDS, and uh, he has hit the top of the charts. 
We're going to be talking to him about what is his goal, his purpose, and how do you make a rap song that's clean? We'll find out. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. That is the song Motivation from James Curran. Uh, it's the number one album, um, I think, on one of the uh, new, uh, what's it called, the new artist uh, charts. And James Curran is, it's an interesting uh, convergence. James Curran is not your traditional rapper. His dad is a stockbroker. His mom was a U.S. ambassador. So he grew up overseas and was usually one of the only people of color where he grew up. He didn't even know what rap was until he was 14. He is also a returned missionary from the LDS Church and started rapping to stand for his beliefs. He calls himself James the Mormon. And unexpectedly, his album rose to number one on the hip-hop album uh, in the world last month. James joins us today to talk about his experience using his talents to make a positive impact on the world. James, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. What an, what an interesting idea. I mean, when people think of Mormons and rap, they just – they probably can't even yeah. conceive it. But I'm here sure it's not – yeah. You're, you're doing it, right? You are. You you made it to the top of the hip hop chart. I mean, that's a big deal. What's going on? Um, well, it was completely unexpected. Uh, I'm super grateful for the support of you know all the BYU fans, um, the members of the church, and uh, you know people who just see the same vision. Yeah, it's. I mean, the cool thing about your music is it's you keep it you keep it clean, you keep it uh, elevated, so that your your kids my kids could listen to it if they if they wanted to yeah uh, that completely my intent i wanted to make music that was sounded and had the same exact vibe of everything that was relevant or charting um but i just omitted any sexual references drug references and, and swear words that's cool that's that's something you know as as james the mormon that i, I wouldn't represent yeah why did you choose the title james the mormon I, I, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I, uh, I'm, I never sought out to be this like Mormon rapper or like James the Mormon as a rapper. It just kind of happened by accident. Um, on my mission in Washington, I was very frustrated when I would, because I, I, I went late. I went out when I was 23. Um, yeah. you know, I, 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 I wasn't very active and, and I had a very, very, uh, tender and personal conversion experience, which led me to be very excited about missionary work. And when I was out there, uh, I was so surprised and shocked when, you know, stake presidents or bishops or people that were supposed to be in leadership were less enthusiastic, or almost apathetic about the work when I was just so passionate about it. And they were even to the point where members were afraid to let people know they were Mormon. So on my mission, I made a decision. I said, I'm never going to be you guys. When I come home, I'm, everyone will know that I'm Mormon, and everyone will know what I stand for. So I just changed my social media to James the Mormon, 
just so that it would be very, very apparent that was my way of doing missionary work. That was five years ago. That's amazing because, I mean, I, it, it's true, and a lot of our listeners aren't even LDS. And so when you, you're talking about when you went out on an LDS mission as a missionary wearing a white shirt, riding a bike around to go tell people about your beliefs in God and – um, and the church, you you found out that a lot of even Mormons were embarrassed about the title Mormon. Yeah, there's and, a very negative stereo, uh, stigma uh, on Mormons, and, and I understand that. You know what I mean? And because of that, when people share that they're Mormon, they're afraid that it will offend people or change their relationship because of that. But what I'm trying to do is just make it super aware and then change those stereotypes by showing that, hey, everybody, we are just like you. Yeah. We just happen to believe these couple things and live our our life in a certain way, which I believe is positive, and yeah. I want to show that. I mean, and it, you also you you break a lot of I think you know stereotypes and beliefs about Mormons, um, not just with the rapping, but you you have um, uh, you have a, a mom that was a what was she an ambassador and a dad that's a stockbroker, but you're 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 black you're not, you're a black Mormon, James. I mean, well, I'm half, I'm half black, but yeah, right, but people black. didn't know, right? Like people didn't think Mormons could be black, right? No, I, what's so funny is on the mission there was I, I'll never forget. I went up to someone that was like, they're like, that was of color, and they told they're like, I'm sorry, I could never join that church. I'm I'm black. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, hold on, hold on, I'm talking to you, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, do they let you in? And I was like, it was just it was very very funny. So yes, that's cool. Me, the world views the church, our church, as a very homophobic, racist, and sexist organization. Outside of Utah and our little BYU bubble, that's the real fact. Right. And I think that we all need to become a little more aware of that and work a little harder to change that because it's, we're not going to let the stone roll forth until we can break down that, that mindset. Because who wants to join that type of church? Right. No, right. And it, it also seems like, I mean, you're, you've got a great jump on it with the fact that you can, you're proving that your music can also be a clean, higher standard and still perform in the hip hop world. That's very true. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, that's, to me, that's the way you blow up the, the myths, right? Is you, you have to take them on. You don't talk people out of them, you just go prove them wrong. 100%. And that's what I intended to do. That's cool. And you have a another thing that I like about what you're doing is it's you're also hitting the kind of the YouTube world which is really a faster way it seems like to try to to get some of the message out because Utah may not be known to others is kind of a YouTube mecca. A lot of the big YouTubers are from Utah. Yeah, uh, I I think it's the most per capita, if yeah. I'm correct. I'm not sure what the exact metrics are, but yeah, I, it is a very big thing. And you know, I, I I'm a, I'm a business guy. I'm a marketing guy who happens to have a hobby of of doing music, and I understand what it takes to to take a message, um, and I I I use my knowledge and and I my hustle, and I you know we put together some videos that had some virality and uh, attach it to the songs that I made as a hobby. And, and you know, it, it kind of took off. That's cool. What um, did you know that you were like you said early on, you never thought you'd become a rapper. Uh, what, what, had, what were your yeah. plans? So I, I own four different businesses as a startup. I don't know if you know that. No, I, uh-uh. I, 
The only thing, and I, I want to make this very clear, I, I don't know how many people are listening, but either way, I am not pursuing music as a career. I, I have four, so if you want to consider music as my fifth startup, the only thing that I do that loses me money is music. <laughs> That's is the music biz, right? Move. Yeah, I, to everyone, I, have, I am not, like, I'm too logical to, to have this as a dream. I just happen to have it as a hobby and a strong passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing that with people in my own personal way. And that's how I, plan, I, I do that, and it's worth losing money to me for that. So, hmm. um, What are the other businesses, James? Um, I have a business. We help people make money. It's called advertisingmycar.net. They can, uh, you know, they become an affiliate for. We don't have to go into it. Yeah, but I have a marketing business. I'm releasing a couple apps that help people read their scriptures a little easier. Um, cool. So, uh, it, but but with the whole the whole music thing is it, just to go back to what I said earlier is James the Mormon was became James the Mormon two days after my mission. I've been rapping since I was 17 as a hobby. I would continue to rap as a hobby, just as somebody has a hobby of hiking. You know, they're, you know what I mean? They post pictures on their Instagram or, the, or videos on their social media of, of their hobby. I did the same thing. I, I put videos of me, like very basic videos, and uh, people saw them, enjoyed them, and then attached me as a rapping to James the Mormon, and they called me James the Mormon as a rapper, not me. Yeah. I never, I never had this like, but I never stopped, rolled within, and I realized we don't have to go into the whole story. But God kind of let it spoke to me and said, "Hey, I didn't give you this talent and these tools to make videos to just play around. I need you to to share to to do my work. And I need you to share my gospel." So that's cool. That's kind of kind of where we went from that. And that only happened, to be honest with you, I the first time I ever released something was August nineteenth of last year. Hmm. Uh, so, that's original. That's yeah. like my own original thing, and that's that's when it all started. That's cool. Let's take a break, James. We're speaking with uh, James the Mormon, also uh, James the businessman, and and the rapper, and really somebody called uh, for a bigger purpose than just rapping. He's he he wants to share a message, um, and he's found a way to, uh, to to hit the top of the charts, but also to do so while uh, holding a higher standard than just uh, you might find traditionally in the rap world. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. Helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Let me tell you about my homie. He was 14. He been searching truth like forever, having more dreams. And he couldn't settle for the basics of the core thing. Yeah, my dude just had a feeling no more being. Yeah, my boy had concerns like a thousand. He been climbing hope for a minute, no mountain. And they all different that I can't stop counting. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. That uh, There's some uh, little taste of James Curran's work, uh, also known as James the Mormon, um, who uh, really is uh, loved, loved rapping his entire life, I guess, from 17 on, and uh, has actually found out that he's pretty darn good at it. He's so good at it that he hit the top of the charts, which is a big deal. And uh, it's not only a big deal, but it's also um, it's it's a good it's got to be a good feeling to just know that you're helping change lives. James, welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. That it really is a big deal. Uh, you 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 have a cool way, I think, about going about life. Everybody has talents. Everybody has gifts. What what advice do you give people, kids? 
as uh, as they come up to you because you've kind of found a way to take everything you love to do, all of your gifts and talents, and and do something with them. Yeah, I I mean I, I I'm speaking when I say what I'm about to say, it's, it's probably more to someone who who believes uh, the same beliefs as me. But I I believe that God put us on this earth, and if we're lucky enough to have the faith that we do at this moment and, and belief structure um, in the LDS Church, I believe specifically we have gifts given to us, one, to help us, you know, in life and to provide for our families and all that, but also to, to do the Lord's work. And it took me a long time to figure that out, but I think that if we can figure, if we really, really focus on it and we listen, God is going to tell you how to use those gifts to help his work go forward because i mean there really is nothing more important in the world than uh than sharing that message of the restoration right so so eventually everybody's going to have talents and gifts that they can bring to give back to god to give back to the church uh or to just to get to go out and make the world better yeah i it, whether it's directly whether it's directly and the thing is not, not everything i do even you know even motivation like I'm not a rapper. The album that went number one, there's nothing about that that has uh, has uh, anything to do with anything religious. It's a completely secular album. But I think the fact that I give my credit, the fact why it went number one, I give my talents, to give all that back to God publicly, allows people to see, hey, like this is you know this is a good person doing good things, and it's because of what he believes. And I think that resonates with people. Is that why you choose to keep the music clean to keep to keep it a, a better a better message? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I think. I mean, there's. I want. I want to put positive in the world. I want to help people. I want to. I want. Whether it's whether they join the church or not, I want. I want to do good. Yeah, uh, James, are you married anymore? I am not. I am divorced. I was married for three months. Because I saw that. I saw one of your your saw your sets on YouTube was about divorce. Tell me what that taught you. Cause that's um, a huge, that's a huge thing kids are dealing with, right? Parents that are divorcing and younger, you know, young adults that are out there trying to find the right person. Yeah. I, I realize from the, I mean, I realize a lot of things, but um, I think it's important to, uh, for example, like when I, when I got married, I just wanted to get married because I thought it was exact, you know, I thought that was the next step. Um, I ignored you know, feelings or signs that I probably shouldn't have gotten married. I think when you're when you're approaching marriage, uh, you really need to make sure that the person and you are really cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that regardless of what you do, I think once you get married, I think you need to literally give it your all to, to try to make it work. I don't think that was the case on on both sides in in my marriage, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's great I mean, advice. I talk about that for hours. Yeah, I'm sure. No, I'm sure you could. Did it influence your music? Oh yeah, I, I'd say eighty uh, percent of the songs were probably talking about that. Was it? Yeah, to get and that that's probably a, a great way to a cathartic way to get healed, right? To get through it. What's very interesting about divorce? I'll just say this really quickly. Is I think that me getting divorced was all part of the plan because I would never have started making the first thing I ever did uh, 
production-wise, uh, you know, quality production, was the Life After Divorce series. Hmm. And I, 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 started, I found the person who I work with who's one of my best friends now, Sam Wilder, uh, because I wanted to make um, something that would help people through divorce, which is the Life After Divorce series. Yeah. And then we just started making stuff, you know, for fun on the rap side. And none of this would have happened. Nothing, nothing that any good that has happened would never have happened if I didn't get divorced. So it's funny how you can go through trials, but the, if you if you look at your trials as a way to help other people going through the same things, you never know what could happen. Oh yeah, and and two, just to, I mean, be able to t- to be able to turn it like that because otherwise you you could go such down such a deep hole and wonder what happened to you, but instead yeah. you're out trying to help other people through it. That's cool. Hundred percent. Yep. Does uh, well, what are your future plans? Where does James the Mormon go from here? More businesses? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm always looking for for opportunities to, um, you know, business to me is just a means of funding more good that I want to do. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I I guess James the Mormon as a brand is continuing to grow, and um, we're going to be releasing more content. We're, I, I honestly am just going to do the same thing I would have done anyway. Whether or not anything happened, I mean, I was going to release that album. I was going to—I've been re- releasing stuff for two years. I'm, you know, what I mean, it, I'm just going to keep doing what I would have done. And if more people want to grab hold and, and support the movement, then I, the more the merrier. You know, yeah. I, mean, I, I would—that would be great. That's super cool. What uh, What would you say as we wrap this up? What's What's the one thing that maybe the youth, the young adults of the world? need to remember when it just comes to life and this crazy thing we call earth? Um, I think that, man, that is a very, very broad question, but, yeah. uh, I think the number one thing you need to, to focus on is, is, uh, what, what do you feel like your purpose is and then work hard to accomplish that while being as positive as possible to everyone around you. That's cool. That's the purpose, right? Like, work, work yeah. your good, be, find your good, then go work it and and change the world and lift lives around you. I agree, 100%. Cool stuff. Well, James the Mormon, we appreciate you. Again, uh, the best place to find you, I guess, is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. You're doing it all. Yeah, James the Mormon, one word, if you want to follow along and support or, you know, just Go find however you want to find it. Good stuff. Appreciate you, James. Keep up the great work. Keep changing lives. Thank you so much for inviting me. You bet. James Curran's his name, James the Mormon. Go look him up. Go find his uh, YouTube channel as well so you can see um, see all of his stuff he's doing. It's incredible. And also his websites. I mean, there's just so much going on with the guy, James the Mormon. We'll take a break, come back, and visit two other Mormons, uh, Spencer and Jerem the Mormons. They're great guys that are working down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. everybody to the Matt Townsend show a little Kelly Clarkson for you because of these two guys I, I learned to not stray too far from the sidewalk let's shoot it down to our good buddies down there our friends Spencer and Jeremy hello gentlemen Daddy. 
you play Kelly Clarkson hey, or any other artist uh, when you introduce us during these little segments? It's because we love Kelly. How can you not love Kelly? She's. You know what else I've got for you guys? Hmm. Some cheerleaders in the background? Uh-huh. You know why? <laughs> no. Because I like to say, let's go. And who better? how better to say it? How better to say it than with some cheerleaders? Ready? Okay. Go, team, go. Go, team, go. Mm-hmm. Go, team, go. Go, team, go. Is this helping go, you guys get ready go. for the show? Go, team, go. This is really bringing the energy on. Does it, is it bring, pumping bring you it up? That's what I say. We figured out that if, if you, know, you know, because we don't, we're not, we don't have boots on the ground in the war in um, Syria or Iraq anymore. But what we think needs to happen is they just need more get up and go. So we, we want to send some cheerleading squads over to help pump up the people that are in war. And we thought the same thing would apply to you guys. Just send them videos. What kind Blood of videos? Safer. Videos of your show? Yeah, sure. No. <laughs> no, we want solid diplomacy. We don't want Anarchy. Don't don't you think that a, a little cheer, like we've got spirit? Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And then your team should say we've got spirit, and then you throw it back Verbal to us. Red Rover. Uh, we could we could go back and forth as our show to your show and see which show has more spirit. <laughs> more spirit. <laughs> I'm thinking about that scene in Hoosiers uh, before. Yeah, I think it's the first or second game mm-hmm. scene. When the student sections – and it's become a lot more colorful these days uh, with different sides cheering. But back then it was just, yeah, we've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? Just who could do it louder? That's right. And then you say, we've got more. Look at the score. And you can only pull that one if you're winning. You know what I mean? Are you with me? We've got more. Look at the score. <laughs> and that's just the mic drop and you just walk away. All the fans leave. I'm just telling you. So, uh, hey, guys, I, I wanted to tell you, happy Oscar the Grouch Day. Yuck. That sounds like too much fun to me. It's Oscar the Grouch Day. <laughs> it's also, by the way, Go Barefoot Day and Running Day. And Say Something Nice Day. It's a big day. How, big how many day. sound day effects for you. do you play 20. on a daily basis? We do 20. We can only afford 20 a day. <laughs> You just used up all 20 right there in the first two minutes of this. We just went bankrupt right there. (laughs) We just bankrupt the entire thing. Hey, um, so I want you guys to shoot straight with me. If you had to choose being trampled by an elk or wake up in the Serengeti with with a lion licking your tent, which would you rather have? The elk. You don't want a lion licking your tent? That's always a bad day. Hey, hey what's that thing we talked about yesterday, that, that invention? Yeah, the uh, licky. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Did you guys you go buy one? With your cat? Yeah. Hey, if the lion's licking the tent, That's you right. got one of those, you're good. Man. That's what you do. If you go out, just think of this. <laughs> right when the lions are licking, and we have video on our uh, Twitter feed, if you want to go check it out, at Dr. Mad Show, of the lions licking the tent. But then if you go out with a licky in your mouth, with his long t- tongue hanging out, and you just start licking the lion, I'm sure they'd be fine with that. You're sure, huh? I mean, what is the worst thing that could happen when no, you go out with a licky hanging? Bite your arm off or something? <laughs> <laughs> See, I we, hate we, getting my arm bitten off. <laughs> we try, on this show, we try to help teach people what not to do, and you shouldn't 
go too close to an elk and take a picture. And B, you shouldn't mess around and video lions when they're licking your tent. See? There are the answers. See? Yep. Problem solved. So, <laughs> totally crazy. Hey, uh, I need a little update on who you guys are going to say, who's going to win the game tomorrow, Cleveland or the Warriors? I have the Warriors in game one. Game one? Yeah. Like, I don't think the Cavs are going to win game one at Oracle and yeah. in Oakland. Yeah, that's not I think happening. it'll be a great series. Do you think do you think it'll go six, seven? At least six, in my opinion. Hmm. It seems like LeBron's a little upset that he's not getting the respect he needs. Which is why I think that will go six. Trans- translate to some, some wins and some passion and uh, him inspiring his teammates. And also he has a healthy Kyrie Irving and healthy Kevin Love this year. Yes. See, that'll go a long way. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen LeBron with his shirt off? That's what I used to look like. <laughs> I can't believe that for a second. Why are you laughing? Because you were never at any point, even in your dreams, 6'9", 260 pounds, and 6% body fat. You also weren't African-American, <laughs> for one thing. How do you know? Oh, yeah, that too. Have you ever met my parents? No, you haven't. That is so rude. But I do have a wingspan like he does. That guy's got a reach. All of a sudden, we're like birds. Yeah. What's your... Wingspan. My wingspan is very large. We don't um, do that with very many animals. What's your car's horsepower? <laughs> what's your never. what's your what's your cheetah speed? Two hundred and twenty horses. Yeah. <laughs> Two hundred and twenty cheetahs. That someone quantified the power of a horse. Yeah, <laughs> that is one horsepower unit. Do you know right. how many men died trying to quantify the power of a horse? Oh, I I always think <laughs> closer, about, Larry. Who was the first person to figure out. Milk. Oh, yeah. No, you like, go try hey, it. I'm not going to try it. tastes good. <laughs> the, the other stuff doesn't. I can't even get any. <laughs> How do you get it? Hey, I think I figured it out. Kane, come over here. Help me out. <laughs> oh, my Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> hey, Larry, leave him alone. You're bankrupt, man. You can't play any more of those. I'm not leaving him alone until I get some of the white fluid. He only has six more minutes in the show. They got it. They did is... you not use any? Did you not use any? <laughs> they got, we didn't use any all day. We just shot the entire. We shot the entire deal. Okay, I gotta let you guys go. What What's on your show today? Other than milk, the first milking of a cow. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, let's see. Focus, focus, Spencer. Uh, will BYU football be ranked at any point in the 2016 season? And we ask that because Athlon Sports made their case for BYU to be a ranked team yesterday. Do you think it will happen at any point? <laughs> if so, when? You're still thinking about the cat. I totally am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. Big 12 meetings in oh, Dallas. Oh, yep. What yep. came out yesterday? Ooh. Big 12 news, Ooh. Ooh. Okay, that'll be on the show. Oh, my heavens. Okay. And Hayden Nielsen of the baseball team. Uh, what was the reaction of the team when they didn't get in? Yeah, recapping the season. Yeah, what, how do they feel about the season? And then Zach Blackham, uh, he's a high jumper. He is going to be at Nationals next week in Eugene competing for a national championship. And BYU quarterback Tanner Mangum is selling his apartment contract. What it means or doesn't mean. <laughs> That's the truth. That is the truth. Unbelievable. It, it brought some excitement what on social media action? yesterday. You guys are Tanner on Mangum's it. 
tweets for the Big 12. <laughs> Holy we'll cow. Discuss. All we've got are milking cows, and you guys have Tanner Mangum's yes. contract. Yes. His uh, apartment contract. Yeah. That you're, is. You're contract. It you're sounds welcome, America. Yeah, sounds lovely. Well, guys, have a great Plan show. Your millions, America. Yeah. That's, it's going to be a great show. Top of the hour, BYU Sports Nation. Thanks, gentlemen. Go team. Have fun, uh, have fun in the milk off. Betsy, get back here. Tell Cain and Abel to go easy on Betsy. <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, yeah. That's right there. That's the radio you don't get anywhere else but here on the Matt Townsend Show and BYU Sports Nation, where you get to finally imagine that first day someone said, hey, let's milk the cow. <laughs> oh, that is so sad, but hilarious, I must say. Hey, uh, got a great story for you in the, um, in the uh, you know, coaching the con segment. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Ah, oh, brother, out of Clayton, Missouri, a bank robber uh, who left a trail of cash as he ran from the scene of the crime has been sentenced to 15 years in prison. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reports that 41-year-old Cameron Bodie of Delwood pleaded guilty and was sentenced. Authorities say Bodie dropped thousands of dollars in cash as he fled a bank. Oh, there's Mario following Delwood. No, following Bodie because uh, Bodie's dropping thousands of dollars. Bills were found on the sidewalk, on the streets, in the stairwell, dogs, and the dropped uh, in the stairwell, dogs, and the dropped money helped authorities track down the robber, where Bodie was arrested in a parking garage nearby. Police say Bodie had only about one hundred in the in one dollar bills left on him, thousands of dollars strewn across the town, but uh, they found him with a hundred bucks. And Mario trailing behind him, just picking up every coin. I'm telling you, that makes a good video game right there. It's a sad day, isn't it? When you can't even, you can't even rob a bank. So a little advice for those cons that are going to go out and try to rob a bank. Bring a bag, a satchel. Yeah, that was a rookie mistake. Yeah. Always bring a satchel. I don't even know what a satchel is. Bring a bag to carry your goods in. You got to carry your your winnings, your earnings. Your you got to carry the loot. A shoulder strap is ideal. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, because you don't want somebody to steal your loot. Oh yeah. Once you've looted. But come on, get it, get it right. You've gone that far. Uh, you know, that's one way to win it. Another way to win it is you could be like the New Jersey family of eight that has claimed winning. Uh, they've won the $430 million Powerball prize. Are you kidding? The sixth largest in U.S. history and the largest in New Jersey to ever win on a single ticket. After 18 drawings without a winner, the lucky winners were drawn, and it happens to be a family from New Jersey. That's a lot of money. At a 7-Eleven, by the way, the store owner of the winning ticket, they'll get a windfall of $30,000 from the lottery. But all of that money is going to one family. It's cheaper than robbing stores. But, you know, the, the research on Powerball winning, it's not good. Usually it means you'll be broke and hate each other. So hopefully that family can dodge the bullet. Uh, you know, in the end... There's probably better ways. 
Just save. Work hard. As you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. And a taxi driver is a New York taxi driver is our hero of the day. A hero cab driver helped cops in New York nail a drunken hit and run driver who uh, mowed down a man in the Bronx on Sunday, calling 911 and then tailing the suspect for seven miles until police could set up a roadblock to stop him. Authorities said the cabbie was driving near the Bronx Zoo when he spotted the Kia Sorento slam into a 21-year-old pedestrian crossing the street around 2 a.m., police said. The 40-year-old Kia driver, Mohamed Fofana, continued tearing up the street, leaving the injured pedestrian writhing in pain in the middle of the street, according to authorities. The cabbie jumped into action, trailing the motorist past the zoo before taking a right on East Fordham Road and driving through the New York Botanical Gardens. He was driving the SUV through the park. The cab driver dialed 911 and told police about the crash and the injured man back at the scene while also updating them on the suspect's location. The cabbie's car chase was approximately seven miles long. Cops had uh, used the Good Samaritan's information to set up a roadblock to catch Fofana when his vehicle came out of the park. Fofana was found to be drinking and was arrested. The man he hit was listed in critical condition at the hospital. So that New York uh, cabbie... You are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Tracking him down, chasing him down, reporting him to police. Folks, it just takes one of you, one of us at any time, to just step up and be the hero. That's the that's the goal of the show, is to give you the tools, the information you need to live longer and love stronger. That's the show. Until tomorrow, you can go find us on uh, iTunes or tune in. Go look up the BYU Radio app and download that. And get ready for tomorrow. More tools, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. Until tomorrow, watch out for each other. You know, watch each other's back and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.